one the Lord calls to all the earth from the rising of the sun to the place it makes its bed he calls his people and we will listen he will not keep silent till we feel the fire again oh, till we feel the fire again
Welcome, welcome, everyone. This is Torah Portions, and I'm your host, Sean. You're watching us on Kingdom in Context. I want to thank you for joining us this morning. We're going to be looking at Genesis 18 through 22. I'm excited to do it. I want to say a big hello and thank you to everyone that's in the live chat. We got quite a few people already here and waiting. Um, our brother Nick, Fucky Monkey Painting, welcome, brother. Watchman with a Trumpet, Anthony Dickinson, April Zuarth, Ann McKenzie, Jaron Hannibal, Planting in Yahweh, Luis Pereira, Miss Marsha's back, Tyler Porter, Miriam's new, Peggy D, GR Cleave, Wendy Russell, Kevin J. Stoll, Scott McVicker. Welcome, everyone. Good to see everybody in here. Jason T's back. Tracy Jones, Beetlejuice is here. I didn't say your name three times, though, Beetlejuice, but I'm glad you showed up anyway. Uh, let me see here. Elsa de Olivier Richie. I think I hope I said that right. Welcome. Just like Ezra's here, Christy Crow. Welcome, everybody. And so many more. Chico1985, James Apple. Welcome, everyone. Let's get right to it. I want to introduce our, our uh, special guest today that's going to read the portions with me. This is our brother, Marlo Eugene. Welcome, brother. Hey, Shabbat Shalom. The big eye. How you been, man? I'm good. Good. It's good, good to, to see you, you again. Uh, on the channel again. Yeah. Thanks for joining me to read this. It's going to be good. we got a lot of fun, fun content to discuss and chop up here in, in 18 through 22. Uh, we got some parallel passages, as people may have seen from the thumbnail in Jeremiah and also Hebrews 13. Mm. So it's not a light day. Today is a heavy, meaty day. <laughs> There's mm. a lot of a lot of interesting stuff to talk about in these chapters. Or yeah. So yeah, how you been, brother? What's been going on with you lately? Oh man, life. You know, uh, it's like I was telling you backstage. We just moved uh, about an hour away, uh, an hour out of the city, um, closer to family. So um, and that that's been fresh. You know, um, so that's been pretty much taking up a lot of my free time, just us getting acclimated. We moved into a smaller spot so that we can save some some money and move out of California for obvious reasons. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, but um, you'll have your retirement yeah, uh, saved up in like two years. <laughs> exactly. But aside from that, man, just just trying to keep up, you know, the it, the the Holy Spirit is moving big time. Right. I'm seeing a lot of people coming into this walk. I'm seeing a lot of new faces just on different platforms, different Bible studies that I'm near. Um, and so I'm just trying to keep up with everybody now, you know, so it's, it's cool. exciting times. Cool. Cool. All right. Well, um, we other than that, um, I think everybody saw the the intro, uh, all the in, all the information that you may have seen in the intro videos. Uh, you're going to have find that info in the video description below of every video in case you're interested in the in the, um, the context study Bible we're creating. Or we also have been uploading ahead of time all these Torah portion slides that I use and go over. It's basically the whole lesson plan. I upload them ahead of time on our Patreon for free. So the way Patreon works is that you can offer things behind what they call a paywall, which is which is the point of Patreon, right? It's how people can show you support, but so that they can get extra content. So I, I upload extra content on there, and that's where our context study Bible, you can get early access before it goes to publishing. But for free, for anyone, I've been uploading these tour portion outlines. So that way, if you want to use these in your Sabbath Bible studies or any time mm -hmm. during the week, um, if you want to go back to these and refer to what I talked about, uh, maybe if you're just catching this video late, maybe you're watching this two weeks late and you want to go and you want to like follow along and see where I'm going in the video before we get there, you can go download those in a PDF fashion for free on our Patreon links in the video description. Check it out if you're interested, guys. Other than that, let's jump right into Genesis 18. Nice. And we'll start reading here. Um, Marlo, you're the, you're the guest of honor. You want to read first? Uh, sure. All right. So I'm going to start off on uh, verses one through four. Yeah. Yeah, sorry, 18, one through four. All right. 
It says, then the Lord, Yah, appeared to Abraham by the oaks of Mamre in the heat of the day while he was sitting at the entrance of his tent. And Abraham looked up and saw three men standing nearby. When he saw them, he ran from the entrance of his tent to meet them and bowed low to the ground. My Lord, said Abraham, if I have found favor in your sight, please do not pass your servant by. Let a little water be brought that you may wash your feet and rest yourselves under the tree. Verses five through eight. And I will bring a bit of bread so that you may refresh yourselves. This is why you have passed your servant's way. After that, you may continue on your way. Yes, they replied. You may do as you have said. So Abraham hurried into the tent and said to Sarah, quick, prepare three uh, sias of fine flour, knead it and bake some bread. Meanwhile, Abraham ran to the herd, selected a tender and choice calf and gave it to a servant who hurried to prepare it. Then Abraham brought curds and milk and the calf that had been had been prepared. And he set them before the men and stood by them under the tree as they ate. Verses 9 through 12. Where is your wife, Sarah? They asked. There in the tent, he replied. Then the Lord, Yah, said, I will surely return to you at this time next year, and your wife, Sarah, will have a son. Now Sarah was behind him, listening at the entrance to the tent, and Abraham and Sarah were already old and well along in years. Sarah had passed the age of childbearing. So she laughed to herself, saying, after I am worn out and my master is old, will I now have this pleasure? Verses 13 through 16. Then the Lord Yah asked Abraham, why did Sarah laugh and say, can I really bear a child when I am old? Is anything too difficult for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return to you in about a year and Sarah will have a son. But Sarah was afraid. So she denied it and said, I did not laugh. No, replied the Lord Yah, but you did laugh. When the men got up to leave, they looked out over Sodom, and Abraham walked along with them to see them off. Verses 17 through 21. And the Lord Yah said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I am about to do? Abraham will surely become a great and powerful nation, and through him all the nations of the earth will be blessed. For I have chosen him, so that he will command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing what is right and just, in order that the Lord may bring upon Abraham what he has promised. Then the Lord Yah said, the cry out against Sodom and Gomorrah is great because their sin is so grievous. I will go down to see if their actions fully justify the outcry that has reached me. If not, I will find out. Verses 22 through 25. And the two men turned away and went towards Sodom, but Abraham remained standing before the Lord Yah. Abraham stepped forward and said, will you really sweep away the righteous with the wicked? What if there are 50 righteous ones in the city? Will you really sweep it away and not spare the place for the sake of the 50 righteous ones who are there? Far be it from you to do such a thing, to kill the righteous with the wicked, so that the righteous and the wicked are treated alike. Far be it from you. Will not the judge of all the earth do what is right? Verses 26 through 29. So the Lord Yah, Lord Yah replied, If I find 50 righteous ones within the city of Sodom, on their account I will spare the whole place. Then Abraham answered, now that I have ventured to speak to the, to the Lord, though I am but dust and ashes, suppose the 50 righteous ones lack five. Will you destroy the whole city for the lack of five? He replied, if I find 45 there, I will not destroy it. Once again, Abraham spoke to the Lord, Yah. suppose 40 are found there. He answered, on account of the 40, I will not do it. 
verses 30 through 33. Then Abraham said, may the Lord not be angry, but let me speak further. Suppose 30 are found there. He replied, if I have found 30 there, I will not do it. And Abraham said, now that I have ventured to speak to the Lord, suppose 20 are found there. He said, or excuse me, he answered, on account of the 20, I will not destroy it. Finally, Abraham said, may the Lord not be angry, but let me speak once more. Suppose 10 are found there. And he answered, on account of the 10, I will not destroy it. When the Lord Yah had finished speaking with Abraham, he departed and Abraham returned home. Okay. All right. All right. So this is quite an interesting chapter. Um, <laughs> <laughs> a lot of, a lot of interesting info in here. We got Yahweh sends three angels to visit Abraham and Sarah to announce Sarah will conceive a son on the first of the fourth month. And this I actually did some cross-referencing at the bottom of each slide with the parallel passages of this account in Jubilees. And that's how we can know that these guys showed up at the first of the fourth, fourth month with actually, according to Jubilee six, this is actually a feast day. One of the new moon festivals this is the first day of the fourth month. Mm. So it's interesting that these angels in Jubilees are always showing up um, on the appointed times. I think that's something to consider. Mm. I, I told my wife, mm. uh, two years ago when I realized that when I was reading through Jubilees and I was like, wait a minute, if you line up Jubilees and Genesis, all these accounts of these angels showing up, it's always on a point at times. That's deep. Like that's, that's something, you know, yeah, right. But to me, that's not a coincidence. No, word, word. You know, um, same thing with Jesus tells the disciples in, in uh, Acts chapter one, he's like, go and, and wait and wait for me, you know? So they waited in the upper room until you know, what? Have a have a yeah. yeah. So, it's interesting. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of things that uh jump out to me personally in, in Genesis 18. Um, I know like your <laughs> your your channel is uh is is becoming like notorious for like Trinitarians kind of coming on and, and speaking their piece. And I know I know you deal with uh you know, you constantly get put between a rock and a hard place when it comes to the Trinity issue. I know you always extend love to the brothers out there that are, you know are Trinitarian and modalist. Um, these texts that we're going to read, especially Genesis 18. That's I know that's a big one for them. The three men that appeared to Abraham. Yeah. I know that, you know, what I'm saying like, I know that they really tap into that. But um, Hebrews 13 uh, in, in the book of Hebrews, uh, the writer of Hebrews makes it clear that those were angels. Right. Yes. Right. So, yeah. And so does Jubilees. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And this is where I think we get a lot of that confusion is because uh, the Catholic canon rejected Jubilees and the Protestant canon didn't even know about it. Mm. Uh, so. Mm. You know, meanwhile, the Eastern Orthodox Tawahid canons had it this whole time. Um, but it, it's at, yeah, had they have had that, they probably wouldn't have come to those assumptive conclusions, which were forced on them by Catholicism back in the day. Agreed. Agreed. Yeah. I also like, yeah, uh, I also like Abraham's hospitality. We were kind of talking about that in the back. We were joking about it, but I just think it's interesting. Like he's, you know, he's 99 years old, you know, and he runs out in, in the heat of the day to go meet them. Uh, and he doesn't even ask if they're hungry. Like he just gets the meal prepped for him and all that. And Sarah's, you know, yeah. she's down with it, you know, you know, babe, I need you to make some bread, gets the young bull prepped and has their yeah. feet washed. You know, that's yep. another, th another thing we read in Hebrews too, right? Uh, how, uh, what verse is that, uh, where the writer of Hebrews is saying, um, to basically mirror that attitude, you know, a Abraham who unbeknownst to him entertained angels. Mm -hmm. Hebrews you know, 13 too. There it is. Right. Yeah. So that's something that I definitely need to go to work on, man, because, you know, when money gets tight, generosity tends to take a hit. 
you know? Yeah. But, uh, well, I think if I'm not mistaken, um, I think it's in first Corinthians. One of the, one of the gifts of the spirit is hospitality, isn't it? Facts. Like, no, that's not, I, I could be, well, I could be wrong. I have to go look that back up. One of the, you said one of the gifts of the spirit, not one of the, not fruits. the gifts of the spirit, but one of the fruits of the spirit. Yeah. Uh, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. I'm sure. I mean, hospitality. Sure. It yeah. It's. But, uh, either way, My it's definitely, I think. Abraham definitely has it. Um, I will also see people making making note in the chat that you know this is uh, if you follow Judaism and what they think and what they teach. Mm -hmm. um, I think it's hang on, I think first Corinthians 12. Judaism thinks that they've been teaching for a long time that it's uh improper to serve meat and milk at the same meal, and that's oh, exactly yeah. what Abraham serves these angels. So this to read, <laughs> right. this should tell you right off the bat that you know Judaism is made up man-made traditions after the fact, because this is you know they sit down and eat this meal with him. They don't have no qualms about eating meat and milk in the same meal, you know. Facts, facts, facts. Yeah. Um, um here it is. So it's working to miracles portion. All right, I apologize. I don't want to get us too far off. I'll have to find this later. I can't remember the exact verse right now, but it's it's hospitality is definitely mentioned as one of the benefits and and one of the kindnesses that is the outgrowth of the of the spirit working through you. And so, which is I think why we're encouraged to do that in the in Absolutely. the story itself, right? You should treat the stranger Absolutely. with love. You know, the foreigner, you should treat him with love. And um, yeah. So this I is just what know, Abraham's doing. I, I just know like so those the guests were unexpected, right? I got like aunties, like, if, you know, if I show up unexpected, you know, they'll have a meal like, oh, baby, it's a long time. I ain't seen you, you know, make yeah. cook up a meal, stuff like that. For me, sometimes I can be a grumpy old man when I have unexpected guests, you know, yeah, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So pray for your boy, you know, but um, uh, I'm trying to see the angels uh, tell them they'll return again on a feast day. We touched on that. Yeah. The angels yeah. share with Abraham how they're going to carry out judgment on the cities uh, of the plain of Sodom and Gomorrah. Um, yeah, there were five cities there, even though it, most people just refer to that as Sodom and Gomorrah. Right. But there were supposedly five cities there, and it looks like one of those cities is actually spared because that's where Lot runs to. We're going to read that in the following chapters in that city of Zoar, um, or Zoan, I think it is. But um, and that's the smallest of the five cities. But it seems like Lot was living, according to... Um, Chapter 14 of Genesis, when Lot got captured after the king of Sodom had been invaded by those other kings, it seems like Lot himself is actually living in the city of Sodom amongst these other cities in this point. Oh, wow. Yeah. So, uh, one question I wanted to ask you when I was going over um, this chapter, I was thinking about Sarah's laughter versus mm -hmm. Abraham's laughter, right? Do you feel like they got two different reactions? Yeah, I think it's... Uh, Abraham's initial react uh, laughter is definitely not. I, I wonder if it was, um, you just, you know how people can laugh in different spirits. Mm -hmm. People can laugh with a different connotation. You know, that the type of laugh can be a surprise laughter versus a mocking laughter. Understood. So I'm wondering if her laughter was more of a, I'm in another room. I'm not sitting in front of these dudes. They're not going to see me mocking their thoughts or they're not going to see me, you know, this, the sinister laugh that I'm given. Whereas Abraham, Abraham's laughter when he fell on his face could have been like, a, oh, 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 what, what, wait, what, Got you. you know, like Got a you. surprised kind of like, you know, um, but 
yeah, I, you never know. Clearly, they decided to talk to her and share with her that, hey, we could we could hear you in the other room, by the way. We're, you know, <laughs> you know, <laughs> we're not getting past us. I love the fact on um, in this passage, though, he says, the angel says, no, we heard you. Laugh. You did laugh. <laughs> no, but you did laugh. So <laughs> this is where we always try to talk about agency. Uh, just to remind folks that uh, the text in multiple places, validating witnesses tell us these were angels that showed up. A lot oh, of man. people like to believe this is a pre-incarnate Yeshua that showed up. Some people like to believe this is God himself that showed up because right. of the wording. And I'm like, right. guys, everywhere in the wording, throughout the, all of the law and the prophets, every time the Father sends his ministering messengers to give an, a, a, a message to a prophet, it always says the word of the Lord showed up. Mm-hmm. So like and this sometimes is a consistent... straight up it says, it's, sometimes it just straight up uses his divine name. But it's still yeah in reference to the angel. Yeah. You know? Yeah, it's kind of like if you don't know how the process works, you'd get confused. But if you Facts. know how a king has me- uh, emissaries, he sends out his messengers. A king right. doesn't go do every single little piece of dirty work or his light work. He sends out people to do stuff for him, you know? Word. So this is where it's <laughs> just try to remind folks. Yeah, I know the text says the Lord said, the Lord replied, you know, that kind of stuff. But mm-hmm. it's uh, th- these are angels that show up looking like men that are just literally having a meal with, with Abraham and everything. And so what do you, this is the part I love to draw to people because it reminds me of Yeshua's resurrected body, which is these guys are having a meal with Abraham and Sarah and the food is not falling to the ground. Yeah. I've heard you bring that out before. Yeah. So what are your thoughts on that? How do you think that, I mean, what do you think is going on there? Um, well, I would assume that they have internal organs. They would have the parts of the body that they would need in order to process that food. Now, obviously, the explicit explanation for that, I have no clue because I haven't read anywhere how that works. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, um, the Bible, I've never seen it really break it down. Have you ever, I don't think I've even have, ever read uh, a verse that says that angels are materializing. I know it says that they appeared as men or that someone looked like a, a son of man. But does that mean that they put on that appearance? Or does that mean maybe that they just look like that and they just appear? Yeah, it it reminds me of Second Baruch chapter fifty one verses eight through eleven, where it talks about the promise of the resurrection of mankind that we're going to inherit the world that's invisible to us now, which is New Jerusalem to descend later, mm-hmm. and that we will be we will get these uh we'll be able to change our form in into any lovely thing that we desire. Oh wow! So it does seem that there's a shifting ability for your form wow. to be, you know, transitory between, you know wherever you need. I mean, that's why they can appear and disappear. Like Yeshua exemplifies, right? In right. Luke 24, he breaks bread with the two dudes after coming back from a mass, just disappears right in front of him. Uh, he appears inside of a locked room in John 20 and twice actually. And so, yeah, he's, that's the capability they seem to present. And when it comes to them, you know, in that moment, in John 20, Jesus also said, you got any fish? I'm hungry. Mm-hmm. What a hilarious, fish. you know, like you imagine, imagine like, um, you know, you're, your buddy gets back from running a, a marathon and you know, he's like, man, you got any food? I'm hungry. Facts. You know, and yeah. you're just like, you give it to him, right? These dudes just saw this guy get crucified and buried. I know. He it shows was up probably again. A trip, he's like, right? man, I'm hungry. Is he might get some good food. <laughs> not a lot of, not a lot of good all food. Things in all things considered. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and they're like, sure, sure. Yeah. Here's some food. Yeah. Um, it's interesting little paradigm of, of him just saying, yeah, you got any fish? And uh, he eats that. It obviously it somehow goes into his his new glorified resurrected body, uh, which we're told those new glorified resurrected bodies will be like angelic bodies. So they have to process the food in some way, Facts. and maybe it's just that they process it in a purified way, which is why they can only eat things that are 
labeled as clean foods clean because foods that were... is, will allow you to actually digest it properly and you can't eat anything that's unclean maybe it doesn't digest properly that's deep you know i don't that's know it's something to consider how, how long do you think it took abraham's uh servant to prepare that young bull oh this i'm thinking this is like a four or five hour occasion Okay, so check this out. So this is what I'm thinking. Like yeah. he probably he didn't just leave them there. So they mu he must have right. like been keeping them entertained with conversation. Right. Yeah, you're. Yeah, like oh, so how was your how was your trip? You know what I'm yeah, like that's a trip. What, what level of the permit you live on? Yeah, right. yeah like, <laughs> <laughs> hey, what, what, when's the last time uh um you know that you saw Satan go up there and present himself to God? Like we heard what happened with Job. You know right. what I mean? Like. <laughs> Right. Just all that kind of like, what would, what do you talk about when they're just sitting with you and you're trying to make small talk while things are being prepared, you know? Yeah. And, and this makes me also wonder, um, it seems to be, and you can tell me what you think, but it seems to be this conversation about Sodom and Gomorrah happens after the meal. Yeah. Otherwise that could have been what they talked about while the meal is being prepared, which would have been kind of, Oh, I see what you're saying. I see what you're saying. I would. Yeah. yeah um, I don't know if Sodom and Gomorrah would have been like a good dinner topic. <laughs> yeah. How's that? How's that? How's that ox? How's that steak? Is it good? Is it seasoned well? Yeah, I'm about to destroy about 100,000 people <laughs> tomorrow. So you want to? <laughs> I think they. I so, definitely uh, think they waited till after dinner. It was like, all right, so yeah. But, so they um, had the okay. So basically, I would imagine they had the good news for dinner, right? You're gonna have a son. Right. You know, it's gonna be great. Don't laugh. It's gonna be good. It's gonna really happen. And then afterwards, he pulls Abraham by himself to tell him the hard, hard reality. And so, yeah, that's uh, it's interesting. Yeah, interesting to um, consider. I love Abraham's back and forth with with uh, with the Most High regarding what was going to happen with Sodom and Gomorrah. Um, I when I think about that, like I can't help but think about like Simeon and Levi in a situation situation with uh, their their little sister. Uh, yeah. Dinah and how they, you know, went with Shechem, uh, Shechem. Um, yeah. and cor correct me if I'm wrong, but some people, some innocent people caught some stray bullets in that situation when Simeon and Levi well, went into the city. Supposedly, um, the men of, according to Jubilees and the Testament to patriarchs, the men of Shechem had, had been known to steal people's wives and kill the families. Mm, okay. So okay. this was kind of like a, and, and supposedly according to Testament Levi, um, that an angel actually showed up and prepared Levi um, and oh, gave him wow. a sword. Wow. And it was like, yeah, this, yeah, you're, you're blessed in what you're planning to do. Because it was like divine gosh, justice was coming on Shechem anyway because of their behavior. That's deep. That's deep. I, I, yeah. I've always assumed that some people caught some straight bullets because of uh, that long, like, uh, dirge that, like, Jacob wrote, you know, when he's yeah. talking about the anger of his sons, Simeon and Levi, and stuff like yeah. that. So you, maybe it's an incorrect connection, but I've always looked at uh, Abraham's back and forth with the Most High, and the Most High is basically saying, like, no innocent people are going to be harmed in, right. in this situation. I love that about God. I love Because, you know, especially people who are, yeah. are outside of the faith, people like to make, you know, Yah, the, the God of the Old Testament, seem like he's this tyrannical being that just likes to destroy everybody when he when he's having a fit. Like, no, he's he's a God of justice. You know, yeah, and if I'm not mistaken, it's Jubilees on the account of Shechem that it goes, it expounds upon how the men had planned to um, take Sarah and Rebecca and kill Isaac and Jacob after they healed from their circumcision. They basically went through circumcision just to uh, just as like a formality convince, to 
yeah, to convince them that they truly were going to go through with this pact. And then they were intending to betray them immediately afterwards. And so that's where Simeon and Levi were like, all right, well, this is our chance to hit them before they hit us. Got you. You know, kind of thing. And, and, um, Jacob didn't, they didn't tell Jacob about it, which is why in Genesis 49, Jacob makes that statement about Simeon and Levi and not, not sharing in their secret counsel. Mm, understood. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. Um, but you know, yeah, that's always try to remind people later on, like a few chapters later, um, Jacob is instructed by the angels to hand over his priesthood garments to Levi. So Levi was not just, uh, according to Jubilees and Malachi chapter two, four through seven, uh, with the pact that Yahweh makes with, with Levi to, to have the priesthood. Um, that was the, one of the reasons that Levi was considered zealous for the Lord to obtain the priesthood. Mm-hmm. <laughs> was because he was willing to carry out justice on uh, Shechem. And that reminds me of the golden calf incident after Moses gets back down and starting right. to evaluate what's happening. And he's like, who's on my side? Who's on the Lord's side? The Come over here. And then right. those 3000 Levites run over there and draw their swords and prepare to actually do the dirty work of, of the Torah, Word. which is to administer justice when it's really, really difficult. Mm-hmm. Um, which is, reminds me of those passages in the Torah that tell you do not, do not, uh, was it, I can't remember the exact wording, but it's basically saying, do not withhold this punishment, this judgment. Right. You know, cause that's kind of right. like the natural inclination, inclination of humankind is you get compassionate. You get, you don't want to like kill the guy cause he's your Absolutely. cousin or he's, you know, you've seen him around town. You like, he's a nice Deuter- guy, but he made a bad mistake. Deuteronomy 13, right. When, uh, I, I believe that the council was, um, you know, if, if even you have a family member who pulls you off to the side and says, uh, let us go worship foreign gods that we haven't known before you are to yeah. uh, without fail put them to death and your hand must be the first to to act on yeah. it that's yeah. that's a fatal verse you know yeah but it's it, it's what must be done if the most high says it must be you know all things considered you know given the time period back then and whatnot but yeah you know I, it can come off harsh to somebody who might have um incorrect parameters when they're trying to delineate what true justice looks like yes. you know yeah it can be rough. And so here's true justice with the angels being sent. And this is one of those unique forms of justice in the scriptures where Yahweh doesn't use men and their armies to accomplish something, but he just directly sends his angels. Amen. And he's like, yeah, I just, I just need a couple of these angels for this job. And um, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> yeah, it's not even like he needs to send an army. He's just like, yeah. Just, well, right. Hezekiah, what? What was one angel took out 186,000 Assyrians? Yeah, the Assyrians. You know? Yeah, so it's just these <laughs> angels are, are deadly. So he's like, man, I just man. need a couple to go down to Sodom and Gomorrah and take care of these dudes. So, oh, and this actually brings us to our next segment. One of our segments called Come, Let Us Reason Together. Hmm. Okay, so Marlo, the question is, did Abraham's bargaining with Yahweh save Lot from judgment? Hmm. Well, I'm going to say I don't think so. I could be wrong. Okay. Um, but the the reason why I don't think so is because I know that there's a verse in the New Testament, and I believe Lot is named amongst the righteous who right. were outcrying against the cities. That's so right. that would be my yeah. answer. So, yeah. So regardless of whether or not 
Abraham has this concern conversation, putting two and two together, knowing Lot lives there, and thinking, oh, well, before they go do this, I just want to make sure the Lord's going to obtain his normal standard and save mm-hmm. the righteous, you know, and not and not lump the righteous in with the wicked for judgment. And so he has this conversation. So with that theological understanding of consistency of Yahweh's behavior, mm-hmm. I agree with you. And it would seem as if Abraham is being... Uh, uh, patronized, if you will. It seems like he's being entertained. Right. In this I conversation. agree. I agree. Because it's like the, the angel could have said, hey, do you not know the, the character of the Lord? He's not going to hmm. do that. Of course, we're going to pull a lot out. Right. But instead, it's this, this long, drawn out conversation, this back and forth about, you know, testing the merits of the father's behavior, his character. Would he would he condemn the righteous with the wicked? And, and how many does it require? He's trying to go through the specifics like a bean counter. You know, what about yeah, 50? Yeah. What about 49? What about 40, 35? You're like, and I'm just wondering, like the patience of even the angel talking to him. Facts. Just being like, <laughs> he could have just said, hey, man, that's not the way the father does things. Of course, we're going to spare the, the righteous. And, and you know, what I mean, it's like, yeah, absolutely. He didn't know. I'm sure Abraham not living in that city didn't know how many righteous were there. And. Who knows how long it had been since he'd seen Lot. Wow. Hopefully, he, you know, he didn't know had Lot still been a righteous. You know, I don't know how how often they got together. Um, but it's interesting to me that uh, that when these angels, you know, they, it's from our perspective, it seems as if Abraham is convincing these angels to do something they weren't going to do. But I don't from what you the verses you already talked about and from our understanding of Yahweh's character. It seems as if yeah, Abraham just didn't understand the assumptive nature of the father who's not going to to condemn the righteous with the wicked. That was going to be my question. I was going to ask, well, you know, why do you think that Abraham even had those questions? Because it's easy for us to say, having, you know, all these scriptures and, you know, able to look at all these different accounts from like a more objective bird's eye view, we can look back and say, well, I wouldn't have asked God those questions because I know God wouldn't do that. You know, and here we have one of the patriarchs really Mm -hmm. having like this deep, you know, back and forth. So yeah, I'm glad that you said that because I've always, you know, I've wondered, you know, what was what was going on in Abraham's mind in that situation? Yeah, it seemed kind of kind of naive, but at the same time, he just, you know, he's probably just really concerned for Lot and just wants to wants just just wants to verbally hear it, you know. What I mean? Understood, understood. So I can understand that. I'm gonna jump into chapter 19 if you're not if you're ready. Sounds good. All right. So here in Genesis 19, he says, "Now the two angels arrived at Sodom in the evening. Lot was sitting in the gateway of the city." When Lot saw them, he got up to meet them, bowed face down, and said, My lords, please turn aside into the house of your servant. Wash your feet. Spend the night. Then you can rise early and go on your way. No, they answered. We will spend the night in the square. But Lot insisted so strongly that they followed him into his house. He prepared a feast for them and baked unleavened bread, and they ate. Before they had gone to bed, all the men of the city of Sodom, both young and old, surrounded the house. They called out to Lot, saying, Where are the men who came to you tonight? Send them out to us so we can have relations with them. Lot went outside to meet them, shutting the door behind them. Please, my brothers, he pleaded. Don't do such a wicked thing. Look, I have two daughters who've never slept with a man. Let me bring them to you and you can do them as you please. But do not do anything to these men, for they have come under the protection of my roof. Get out of the way, they replied. And they declared, this one came here as a foreigner and he's already acting like a judge. Now we will treat you worse than them. And they pressed in on Lot and moved in to break down the door. But the men inside reached out, pulled Lot into the house with them, and shut the door. They struck the men at the entrance, young and old, with blindness, so that they wearied themselves trying to find the door. 
Then the two men said to Lot, do you have anyone else here, a son-in-law, your sons or daughters or anyone else in the city who belongs to you? Get them out of here because we are about to destroy this place. For the outcry to the Lord against its people is so great that he has sent us to destroy it. So Lot went out and spoke to the sons-in-law who were pledged in marriage to his daughters. Get up, he said. Get out of this place, for the Lord is about to destroy the city. But his sons-in-law thought he was joking. At daybreak, the angels hurried Lot along, saying, Get up, take your wife and your two daughters who are here, or you will be swept away in the punishment of the city. But when Lot hesitated, the men grabbed his hand and the hands of his wife and his two daughters, and they led them safely out of the city because of the Lord's compassion for them. As, son, as soon as the men had brought them out, one of them said, Run for your lives, do not look back, and do not stop anywhere on the plain. Flee to the mountains, or you will be swept away. But the Lord replied, No, my lords. Excuse me, but Lot replied, No, my lords, please. Your servant has indeed found favor in your sight, and you have shown me great kindness by sparing my life. But I cannot run to the mountains. The disaster will overtake me, and I will die. Look, there is a town nearby where I can flee. It's a small place. Let me flee there. It is not it is is it not a small place? Then my life will be saved. Very well, he answered. I will grant this request as well, and will will not demolish the town you indicate. Hurry, run there quickly, for I cannot do anything until you reach it. That is why the town was called Zoar. And by the time the sun had risen over the land, Lot had reached Zoar. Then the Lord rained down sulfur and fire on Sodom and Gomorrah from the Lord out of the heavens. Thus he destroyed their cities and the entire plain including all the inhabitants of the cities and everything that grew on the ground. But Lot's wife looked back, and she became a pillar of salt. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and returned to the place where he stood before the Lord. He looked down toward Sodom and Gomorrah and all the land of the plain. He saw the smoke rising from the land like smoke from a furnace. So when God destroyed the cities of the plain, he remembered Abraham, and he brought Lot out of the catastrophe that destroyed the city where he had lived. Lot and his two daughters left Zoar and settled in the mountains. For he was afraid to stay in Zoar, where they'd lived in a cave. One day, the older daughter said to the younger, Our father is old. There is no man in the land to sleep with us, as is the custom over all the earth. Come, let us get our father drunk with wine, so we can sleep with him and preserve his line. So that night they got their father drunk with wine, and the firstborn went in and slept with her father. He was not aware she, when she laid down and when she got up. The next day the older daughter said to the younger, Look, I slept with my father last night. Let us get drunk. Let us get him drunk with wine again tonight so you can go in and sleep with him and we can preserve our father's line. So again, that night they got their father drunk with wine and the younger daughter went in and slept with him and he was not aware when she laid down or when she got up. Thus, both of Lot's daughters became pregnant by their father. The older daughter gave birth to a son and named him Moab. He is the father of the Moabites of today. The younger daughter also gave birth to a son and she named him Ben-Ami. He is the father of the Ammonites of today. All right, some extremely unique things to break down on this chapter. Huh. Go for it, Bubba. Oh, man. You want to hit the summary first? Let's see. Yah's angels arrive in Sodom and introduce themselves to Lot. Mm -hmm. The men of Sodom. Uh, that was interesting. Why did... Okay, the they said that uh, we're going to spend the night in the square right initially why like yeah. well are where like were they just gonna like sleep in the middle of the street or something or like on a sidewalk like do they need to sleep you know they just oh, that's hang a good out point. Walk around act like oh, they're milling about that's deep that's deep um i, I never thought or of that. maybe they just uh maybe they were just like yeah the the more we're out in the open the sooner we get to destroy this place they're gonna come at us <laughs> <laughs> yo that's crazy 
Um, I don't know. It's something to think about. Yeah. Because apparently these dudes attracted some attention walking through town. Apparently, yeah, because people knew where to find them because they went straight to Lot's house, right? Yeah. Um, the men of Sodom surround Lot's house, demanding to defile the angels. That was a trip to me. When you uh you remember the story about the Ephraim left Levite and Judges, where his yeah, concubine it's like they did yeah. the same thing. They they came and knocked on the door, like these this, mm-hmm. a mob of people, and they were like, you know, give us the man that's here, you know, and Lot was are the guy and and judges responds the same way that lot did and i'm wondering like what's your take on that what's your take on this the 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 response of well we have women here so have them do you think it's just like a knee-jerk reaction yeah it's almost like a futile i don't agree with lot's response nor do i agree with the levite's response in in judges 19 um and i think that was a, a weird position of desperation that uh, clearly, because just the next couple of verses tells us those girls were engaged to be married to some other dudes. Right. So why is he trying to offer them up to the men to do with them as they wish? And I'm like, that's, you know, it sounds like you're confused as well a lot in this panic situation. Mm-hmm. So I don't agree with his decision there. I would never do Agreed. that. Um, right. I, I do think that they viewed they it, that was a very beta way to handle that as opposed to the alpha way well, it would have been to be like. I'm going to be the one to defend my household and my guests inside my household, which is Torah, by the way. Word. And you're going to have to go through me to get to them. And Word. then the angels would have stepped in. But regardless, since he didn't handle it that way, the men of the city still viewed it as if he was attempting to protect the people inside of his household by then turning on, on Lot and saying, oh, so now you're going to act like a judge. Well, we're going to do worse to you than we would have done to those angels or those mm-hmm. guests of yours. So I think... You know, why in Judges 19 does do the, the corrupted um, Benjaminites act in the same regard as these men of Sodom? Why why this particular act of bring this man out, not your not your daughters who had lived there this whole time, but bring this, right. this new these strangers, this man, bring him out so we can violate him. I think it's not as much about attraction as it is dominance. Wow. Because there's supposedly um seems to be the the progression if you will the escalation of society to this tribalism that rejects all foreigners is the moment you see a foreigner you don't know if he's trying to scout out the land as a spy you don't know if he's trying to come in and maybe buy real estate and take you know take you over financially you don't know if he, you don't know what's going on but there's mm-hmm. this inherent paranoia and fear and you just want to go and show dominance to him how does how do how do men show dominance to another man where you don't want to physically hurt him you want to bait you want to shame him debase him i mean this is prison rules you know what i'm saying this is yeah this is it's, all it turns into it's still it's still sick logic though i can understand yeah, wanting to, i can understand wanting to fight somebody to, you know what I'm saying? Like, but yeah, you know what I mean? Have intercourse with another dude? Like, yeah, but that's, that's, that's SRA though, right? That's the satanic ritual abuse. Facts. That is Facts. par for the course with bell worship and all the things, the strange flesh they were going after anyway. And it was that's a how mob. They do it. That, yeah. That was, a, it was a mob of dude. Like it was a mob of them that came to lots door. It wasn't like just, it, it's, what did it say? Like, all, did it say all the men and boys of the city? Men and boys. Yeah. Men and boys. What, yeah. what? Yeah, I don't. What in the world, man? Well, that's that's what I'm suggesting is that because they're they're engaging in idolatry, and I, the idolatry has always been the same. The the rituals of idolatry has always been the same. Facts. It's uh, it's 
this type of abuse, you know, this sexual abuse. Uh, so, I think Solomon talks about that in Wisdom of Solomon, chapter six, where he straight up says that they have uh, mystery sick initiations where they mm -hmm. sacrifice their children. They have sex rituals and yep. stuff like that. And, and he was talking about monarchs and kings and stuff like that, because mm -hmm. a lot of his counsel and Wisdom of Solomon is to them. It's a trip, man, because it's, it's so yeah, out of me. It's so out of the Still normal. For my, I know. Right. And, and it's it's coming to light for a lot of people who aren't even in our walk. Right. But uh, it's just mm -hmm. so outside of the realm of reality for me. I just I it's just a trip that people even can go there. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, obviously, it's interesting that these these angels just strike the men with blindness instead of just killing them right there. I mean, they were going to come to kill them anyway. So <laughs> so what it's like now now they've struck the men with blindness so that they can't even see to run away from the destruction that's about to happen. Mm. Mm. As opposed to like, why didn't these do these angels just drop these men dead at this point right here? And, and why put them in blindness? It's just, it's interesting. It's an interesting, um, I don't know, man. It's, it's, there's a lot, there's, there's a lot we could probably unpack know, theorize about that. Yeah. Right. Um, I, okay. So I think the question that I was proposing with our come let us reason together segment is, kind of addressed in this where where the angels I can understand why yeah i can understand get, how get your family get get anyone that belongs to you get them out of the city and then which i think is interesting because they still the amount of people still wouldn't equal 10 so you remember back when abraham's bargaining and mm -hmm. they leave off at, at 10 i know it's right? i know it's a trip and That's so we trip. got lot his wife the two daughters and if the two soon-to-be son-in-laws uh, would have right. went with them that would have only been six you know, so it's like he didn't even get up to 10. <laughs> so, so, but, but the two son-in-laws that reject the offer, they, they think it, that's a whole nother commentary. Yeah they, think, yeah. they think he's playing around. They think he's, yeah. You know, which is that, that lack of that flippancy is also a, a characteristic of, you know, wickedness, right? Where everything is, is, is nothing. There's no seriousness. Everything's a joke. It's, it's like that, you know, that wicked comedy, you know what I mean? Where mm -hmm. it's like, it's that, that trolling behavior, you know what I mean? Right. Where it's, you try to Absolutely. make a joke at everything. You can't take anything serious um, because you don't want consequences for actions. And it's interesting though, that when he, he says a lot hesitated. So therefore the angels grabbed them by the hands and took them out of the city. And then tells, once they get out of the city, then he tells lot, okay, run to the mountains. So the, to me, and you tell me how you how you read this. To me, mm -hmm. it seems as if they didn't escort Lot, his wife, and the two daughters, but they like transported them. Oh, I don't know. I don't. I don't know. Because and I the mean, reason why would, I think about that is logical. why would you why would you walk them out of the city and then say, and then stop and say, okay, now run to the mountains? No, you would just keep running with them if you've been running with them out of the city anyway. I but if saying. you grab them and angelically, you know, transported them, as as we see in Scripture, right? Like, the, what is it, Philip and and Acts? Are they? Mm -hmm. Is it mm -hmm. Philip and Acts seven? Um, either way, but if you if you just got like a, I think it's a Bell and the Dragon, maybe it's where um, Habakkuk is transported to Daniel while he was in the lion's den to give him some food, mm -hmm. and the angel carries him there. You know, mm -hmm. and so I'm just saying it seems as if the angels do something that's a little supernatural here with that's in their family yeah. to get them out quick. And then uh, then tells them to run and, and lots trying to say, well, look, man, I can't run to the mountains, but I can go to the city over here. You know, and so I don't know if he's just because of his he, he's not in shape or he's just too old or whatever. <laughs> I don't know the reasoning. But <laughs> um, 
Yeah, that yeah. I, I love how it says that uh because of the Lord's compassion for him. Because uh yeah, this is yeah, this is your translation we're reading from, right? That's uh yeah, this is the Berean study bible. Oh, Berean study bible. I, that that's in a, a lot of different translations that word compassion is used. Mm -hmm. Um, that touches my heart, man. You know, because even even in Lot's irrationality, God still made sure that he was you know, protected in that in that situation to to, yeah. to the capacity that he was willing to accept it because we know what the eventuality of his wife was, right? Um, right. God's not God's not going to force you per se to do anything, um, but yeah, Lot's reasoning here is 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 very interesting to me. Um, as we get closer to the end of the chapter of chapter nineteen, uh, yeah, I really don't know what to make of that situation. This is a lot going on during that age, man. Where it's just like I'm like, <laughs> what in the world were people doing and thinking? You know, this is why in the notes in the actual text, I, I put these red parentheses around these words. So okay. part of what I try to show people on my channel when we're going into looking at how do we find context. Sometimes you have translator insertions. Sometimes you have translator assumptions. Mm -hmm. So the idea is the translator has kind of kind of a lot of power when he gives you a translation, right? Because he's taking the text and trying to figure out what's the sentence saying. And then is he choosing the right word? Because you know how in language words can be placed in various different contexts and work depending on the context, right? right? So he has to understand the context for the right usage of the right type of word, depending on the language he's translating. So here in verse 31, I have on screen here, it says one day, the older daughter said of the younger. And that's why I love, I love the fact it says one day, because I think this is an, an escalated time far beyond the destruction. I think they've been in this okay. cave for a while, because as it says, he was afraid to actually live in the town of Zoar that got spared, but he settled in the mountains nearby, I'm guessing. So, that to me, it's like, all right, well, you spared the city, but you're not even going to live there. So that's something interesting. <laughs> yeah. Huh? You know, that's deep. Um, but then he's living in this cave out in the mountains because he was afraid to stay in Zoar. And I'm guessing, I'm guessing either they knew he survived Sodom and Gomorrah or that he was somehow responsible or that they blamed him for it. I don't know. But hmm. the men of Zoar definitely weren't, weren't kind to him either hmm. um, because he's afraid to stay there. So now he's living in this cave with his two girls. And they say, as is the custom over all the earth, there's no man in the land to sleep with us. I don't think it's the fact that I used to think this. I used to think, oh, well, they thought all the world was destroyed. So therefore, there's no more men on the earth besides their father. But now I don't I don't think that anymore because I, the more I look at the text, I realize, oh, they're living in their Zoar is still not destroyed. It's still there. So That's there were men there to run to. Right. Yeah. There's people there. It's even though it's a small town, it's still a town. So they knew there was people, there's children and bit boys being born, you know? Mm -hmm. So there was definitely men available to sleep with them, but I don't, I think it's that they would not sleep with them. So what is the custom? I think as is the custom, so the custom is, is the Hebrew word direct mm -hmm. and it means a manner of behavior or a conduct. So as the manner of behavior in that area or in that land, over and that world land is also Eretz in the earth, right? So even though the mm -hmm. translator put in the word earth here at the end of this at the end of this sentence, but it could be land. it's the same word that is used for the word land earlier right. in the sentence. So if you if you were to read it and say our father is old and there's no man in the land to sleep with us, as is the manner of behavior in all the land, they might have just been land. understood. So they might have like, been just picking up on the customs of the area that they the locale that they were in. You think? Yeah, it's either that the men of Zoar had some of the same bad behavior as the men of Sodom and Gomorrah, being that they didn't even want women, or two, 
these these people were treated as outcasts and they weren't mm -hmm. gonna nobody was gonna give their son to these daughters well that's a paradigm shift right there that's deep yeah you know um and that's obviously i'm just doing my best with the text because none of this makes sense to me um <laughs> as far as trying to get your Word, dad yeah. and, and for one as a man you know i i know if i'd have had if someone Too had much done to something drink. to me the night before right like the, right. the next morning when you wake up you know if if you've had conjugal the night before let's just put it let's be real guys and it happened, um, happened twice it happened right. twice back to back right. right one night right one daughter and then the other then the daughter went to the her sister and was like yo i did this last night you do it tonight type deal <laughs> this is why there's some okay let's just let's just say hypothetically speaking that lot was so drunk that he you know lost my biology doesn't work like that for one facts I, I can't I can't engage in this kind of behavior if I'm that drunk. That drunk, that drunk. Biologically, <laughs> no, I feel you, I feel you. Yeah, but I'm I'm, I'm trying I'm trying to I'm trying to explore all options. You know what I'm saying? Because sure, wine was definitely used, so it's not like he was totally sober when it happened. But I, I think right. at the high at the highest level of abstraction, if I'm going to take any counsel from this to to apply to my my life now, because I can't relate to the relations he had with his daughter. But right. I can see how people can have a lax spirit when it comes to drinking wine in moderation. Time and time again, we're counseled sure. all throughout the Torah that, you know, wine is a mocker. Many men have been destroyed by wine. People do really dumb things when they're drunk. Now, I don't know nobody who's been so drunk that they slept with their, you know, they grandfather, they, they fathered their grandkids. I don't know. I don't know anybody like that personally. But yeah. Yeah, it, it, to me, it's odd that um you know, they, and this is another point I was going to make someone in the chat was talking about what kind of wine did they give like from the local winery? So where mm -hmm. they, you know, wine takes preparation is this stuff that they brought. It doesn't seem like they brought anything with them when the angels pulled them out. of Southern oh, that's deep. So they got provisions from somewhere, right? They're going to the local market for stuff for food. Um, what's this cave like? Is it, is it just, is it next to, you know, how some mountainous areas will have actual farmable land right near the base of the mountain. And there right. could be caves up on the mountain and they could have some land below them. They could, I don't know. Um, again, that's why I think verse 31 is an interesting for a shift of time. Like there's, there's time that has passed between the destruction of them escaping and, and this now where it picks up in verse 31. So we don't know if they went, if they were engaging with the people of Zoar nearby to get local provisions, or if he just started his own thing uh, mm -hmm. out there and was kind of homesteading out there uh, where mm -hmm. he was. Um, we just don't know all that. All I do know is that um, he clearly is making some bad decisions, you know, with him being willing to get drunk two nights in a row. Um, and, and I'm not trying to be overly harsh for people that are that out there that want to have a nice glass of wine. I'm just saying. Right. Right. I, there's no like to me, that mentality, you're sitting in a cave with your two daughters and you're just drinking. That's a different yeah. mentality than. You're being Word. productive in life and society. You're trying to interact with the people of Zohar. You're trying to, you know, um, be of sober minded so that you can pray, which is basic fundamental Torah. You know, mm -hmm. so like this is like to me, this is a different mentality. It's almost as if he's in either a period of mourning or he's got like some strange PTSD. Or do you and think he was just do you think? Go ahead. My, my bad. I was just say basically he's susceptible to his daughters being like, oh, let's get drunk again tonight. Like it's no do you think deal, that you know do you think um, that maybe he was like getting to the point where he was senile like do you think he was like biden in the cave <laughs> do you think he was like that I mean, old? I, 
like almost having dementia because i could see how that that's could the, happen. that's the way yeah I, I understand that and if that's the way it is i'm just amazed that these men can have uh all this debilitating um other parts of their body yet their, their <laughs> genitals still apparently work fine facts yo <laughs> you know it's kind of like man these dudes are strong oh snap yo <laughs> man you know like Again, like I said, I there's I don't know what kind of wine he's drinking, but Word. yeah, it's not and normal it's for a person to get so drunk that you don't know who's messing with you physically and still have to be able to to perform in that manner. It's still and it's not so and it's, it's not weird. normal for it's not normal for for daughters to be even willing be to uh, willing to be do. Uh, I'm gosh, you can tell I'm still thawing off. I'm normally sleep, but uh, yeah. it, the fact that the fact that his daughters were even willing to go that far. Like to me, it's just something wasn't right with his daughters. I know that they're talking about the customs and stuff like that, but still, you know, I can, I, I understand that you know polygyny at that time was was a normal practice. So when you see a man's wife offer, you know, her maid servant or something like that, yeah. that's something I can say. Well, I okay, I, it's it's not anything I can relate to today, you know, but like I can understand how that happened. But when it's like you're you're dealing with people's kids and stuff, and the child them like because it was the child. His children were the ones that initiated this whole situation. Uh, I know. And here's the thing that his the re, the whole purpose of his children even having this thought to begin with, I can only I can only guess that that mindset came from their exposure to being in the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah and around those people with what we, what we know of uh, the satanic rituals and the the occult and how they do inter interfamily sexual activity at rituals even. Mm -hmm. with that understanding i can see where they would be like well hey you know this this is an option right we need kids we're trying to propagate we need people to help us farm and we need to rebuild our own clan so they're just looking at impure utility and ignoring the morality of being that it's their own father and yeah it's just all of it obviously yeah. is is uh bad decisions made in a bad situation so so uh real quick before we go to chapter 20 um one another thing that i wanted to to touch on was the whole uh the lord rain fire from the lord text you know that's another yeah. one trinitarians love you know yeah. um have you have have you had any dialogue with trinitarians or, or any debates where they use that text to try to establish sure. the idea that god is a trinity yeah uh, 1924. Not a lot of Trinity, uh, not, not, um, I should say this Trinity believers from traditional Christian churches. No Trinity believers from Torah observant communities. Yes. They'll use this text and try to I say, I didn't know that there were, I didn't know that there were Torah observant Trinitarians. Yeah, it's, it's right. Amazing. Right. But yes, there's lots. So this is the, what they'll try to say is that, oh, this was, um, you know, Yahweh was the angel there. Or excuse me. Um, they'll try to. I've heard them try to argue that the son of Yahweh, well, who we know later is Yeshua, this is a, a pre-incarnate appearance of him, Christophany. and then he's raining father. He's raining the sulfur and fire down out of heaven from his father Yahweh. Right, right. I've heard that. I personally, even I think that you know personally, this is simply the way that Hebrew writing happens all the time, where they repeat stuff and they expound. First Kings twelve twenty one. Yeah, it 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 happens yeah. a lot actually in scripture. But there's yeah, a couple that I, I go to. Go ahead. For sure. And do you know the actual literary term that it's named when they use this type of device? I just know it's prose. I know it's Hebraic prose, but I don't know if it's like I don't know what the name is. 
Yeah. So then, you know, you're familiar with what I'm talking about. This is just a way of them writing. They do this all the time where they'll right. say, oh, and Yahweh did this because it was from Yahweh. Mm-hmm. You know, they, and you're like, all right. They do it with Lamech. They do it with Rehoboam. They do it with people who aren't yeah. God. Right. Like, so. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's my understanding of it. It's pretty simple. It's just part of understanding idioms and uh, figures of speech within within the consistency of the scriptures. Mm. But other than that, if there's nothing else, uh, we'll get to 20. Do you want to read 20? Yeah, let's do it. Let me pull up my. um. All right. You ready? Yeah. All right. So it says now Abraham journeyed uh, from there to the region of Negev and settled uh, between Kadesh and Shur. While he was staying in uh, Gerar, Abraham said of his wife, Sarah, she is my sister. So Abimelech, king of um, Gerar, had Sarah brought to him. One night, however, God came to Abimelech in a dream and told him, you are as good as dead because of the woman you have taken, for she is a married woman. Now Abimelech had not gone near her. So he replied, Lord, would you destroy a nation even though it is innocent? Didn't Abraham tell me she is my sister? And she herself said, he is my brother. I have done this in the integrity of my heart and the innocence of my hands. Then God said to Abimelech in the dream, yes, I know that you did this with a clear conscience. And so I have kept I have kept you from sinning against me. That is why I did not let you touch her. Now return the man's wife, for he is a prophet. He will pray for you and you will live. But if you do not restore her, be aware that you will surely die, you and all who belong to you. Early the next morning, Abimelech got up and summoned all his servants. And when he described to them all that had happened, the men were terrified. Then Abimelech called Abraham and asked, What have you done to us? How have I sinned against you? that you have brought such tremendous guilt upon me and my kingdom. You have done things to me that should not be done. Abimelech also asked Abraham, what prompted you to do such a thing? Abraham replied, I thought to myself, surely there is no fear of God in this place. They will kill me on account of my wife. Besides, she really is my sister, the daughter of my father, though not the daughter of my mother, and she became my wife. So when God had me journey from my father's house, I said to Sarah, This is how you can show your loyalty to me. Wherever we go, say of me, he is my brother. So Abimelech brought sheep and cattle, men servants and maid servants, and he gave them to Abraham and restored his wife Sarah to him. And Abimelech said, look, my land is before you. Settle wherever you please. And he said to Sarah, see, I am giving your brother a thousand pieces of silver. It is your vindication before all who are with you. You are completely cleared. Then Abraham prayed to God, and God healed Abimelech and his wife and his maidservants, so that they could again bear children. For on account of Abraham's wife Sarah, the Lord Yah had completely closed all the wombs in Abimelech's household. All right, thank you. Uh huh. So we have Abraham doing what we saw him do previously in, I think, Genesis 13 uh, with Pharaoh. He's doing the same thing with this Philistine king of Gerar, Abimelech. And, you know, like I was saying in the tour portion with Wes, as we reviewed those chapters earlier, this seems to be the common fear of the land. Because this, like like we we already uh, talked about with the men of Shechem, uh, the Testament of of 12 Patriarchs and Jubilees expounded upon the motivations of the men of Shechem, which was to steal these wives. Mm. And so, therefore, this kind of seems to be Abraham's same fear, right? Surely there's no one in in this land that fears God. They're going to take my wife and kill me, Mm. you know? and he's back in the land of Canaan, not in Egypt anymore. So 
to me, this is kind of like a prevailing fear amongst uh, men swords. Uh, I mean, in, in light of the inhabitants of the land of Canaan, those tribes, they were, they were lawless like this. Man. See a hot woman, take her, kill the husband. You know what I mean? And it's horrible, but this is what wickedness does. Right. Right. So here in the, the summary, I've just got, um, there's, besides the interaction with Abimelech, there's just basically some, some following his, his movements, you know, going from Hebron to the mountains of Gerar, then down to the well of Oath, Abimelech, uh, king of Gerar. He took Sarah thinking he was going to marry her, thought he was just a sister. Um, because Abraham, that's what he told her. This is the second time, by the way, he's done this. Right, right. Uh, Isaac even does it later. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like Isaac picked this up from his father. Um, and then uh, Yahweh warns Abimelech in a dream that he will die if he touches Sarah. So this, to me, is fascinating. How many stories in the modern day have you heard from people that do not know or worship God, yet God comes to them in a dream to warn them? about a judgment that they would receive if they don't change their behavior. Oh, I haven't, I haven't, I don't exactly. know. Exactly. Yeah. This is where, and if it is happening with like politicians or heads of state or commanders and generals of armies, we don't hear about it in the mainstream. Right. 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 Facts. Um, I heard when I was in church one time, um, I heard a, a missionary from China had come through and said that there was this huge, this was like in 2001. And he said there was this huge funeral in China that like 10,000 people attended because this guy that died was a well-known guru. Hmm. And so I'm using the word guru. I think that's an Indian term, but <clears throat> he was a he was a respected sage in that community or whatever that town, yeah. 10,000 people showed up at the funeral, a whole bunch of people, big media attention. It was a big deal. And supposedly at the funeral on the casket, Jesus appeared sitting on the casket and said, I am the resurrection. I am the way and the life. And then just disappeared. And the whole place just broke out, just started scrambling, just ran and was like terrified. But as a result of it, the, you know, supposedly the underground Christian church in China came in and, and mopped up the mopped up the pieces and, and brought a bunch of believers in after that what? startling event. Yo, yeah. that's deep. That's this was this, this guy's testimony, you know. So and I'm sitting there going. Uh, may the father do that in America, you know? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Straight up. Straight but, up. Uh, so I, I, that's the only story I've ever heard in my modern lifetime about something, something even closely related to this type of concept where a pagan King Yahweh is just like, I'm going to, I'm going to, in a sense, communicate with this guy to the point where he's cognizant of him knowing that Yahweh is trying to communicate with him and fearing the judgment being spoken to him and then responding and changing course as a result yeah. of this. Right. And not just throwing it off as if, Oh, I had some weird dream last night. Right. You know? And then right. not take it seriously. And then the, then the judgment comes. No, this could take it seriously, interacted, try to defend himself. Hey, I thought I was, I did this innocently. What right. Mean? A bill you know seemed so, like a stand up dude. When I, when I read, right. right. right and I think he's going to come back up right in, uh, in chapter 22, is it chapter 22 where they, they formed yeah. the uh or the, the, yeah the covenant the treaty yeah right yeah he he just seemed like a stand up dude and and it's like he said he was like you know y'all said y'all were brother and sister and i like how when um you know he cleared them he still called he still called them siblings right he was like i've given all this stuff to your brother right <laughs> that's right, that's right. <laughs> right? but um and yeah, and then right. i i like i like how i i really love how y'all got down in this account right you know i've 
I, it, it makes me recall, you know, like James two, uh, and what is it? Second, second Chronicles 20, where Abraham is called God's friend. And I just really like how Yah like stepped in, in the situation. He was like, you know, he's like, listen, give the woman back and nobody gets hurt. Right. Like, <laughs> That's right. <laughs> you know, I know, I know, I know uh, you didn't know what you were doing, but this is just a warning, you know? Yeah. Um, I, I really love that account. Yeah, it's true. He came in to, to rescue the righteous, you know, um, because like and it's it's interesting, though, because in a sense. Abimelech did do the right thing when he was warned, but in mm -hmm. a sense, Abraham's fear is justified I hear because you. they did take his wife. Right. You know, right. and and it's and if I'm not mistaken, let me go back real quick and look at it again. It says. Um. You are a good as dead because the woman for she's now been like, gone out. Okay, so it doesn't maybe that was with Pharaoh where he says you treated Abraham good on account of his, his sister. Um, but ultimately, they didn't kill him, so they did spare him and they did take his wife. So it's like mm -hmm. he's partially justified in his paranoia, mm -hmm. but then thankfully, Abimelech does do the right thing. Um, so right. I think it's interesting. And then, of course, he tells them, you know, you can go, um, he gives he gives them silver to go off, and he's like, you're completely clear, and then he. And I'm pretty sure he tells them you can, yeah, you can, first 15, you can settle wherever you please. Mm -hmm. So basically he's like, look, in all the territory that I am have authority over, you can live wherever you want. So he's not kicking them out of the land like Pharaoh did. Pharaoh kicked them out of the land. Oh, yeah. They had to go back yeah. to Canaan. So it's interesting. Um, and of course, he, just like with Pharaoh in this account, he increases in his wealth as a result mm -hmm. of this. It's interesting. Yeah. It's interesting. I, and I, I love this passage in Genesis 20 simply because this is the only place Abraham is actually called a prophet. I knew it. I was, I was waiting for that part. Yeah, I love yeah. how Abraham had to intercede for Abimelech. The Most High specifically said that, right? Yeah. When he was talking to Abimelech. Um, so, yeah, that's deep. You don't often yeah. hear too many people refer to Abraham as a prophet. Not too many peop people in um, Christian theology. I, I At least I haven't. Yeah, me neither. That's why I think it's interesting to point out because, you know, this is a big deal. You know, you remember the verse about uh, do not touch thy Lord's anointed, you know, things mm -hmm. like that. And it just, yes. you know, this is kind of a big deal. You're going after his prophet. He's definitely not only is he considered a friend, not only is he a priest, but he's now being called a prophet, too, um, which, I, you know, it's great. But I I just think the father definitely was was uh, in all the good in the how do I say this. Um, Abraham's not perfect by any means. Right. He shows incredible moments of courage and incredible moments of fear, and he's not perfect by any means. And uh, but the father is is getting him through all the way, like he's he's pulling him through these events and these times, and this while he's living in the land of his enemies, people right. that are that are opposed to to Yahweh's covenant, Yahweh's behavior, Yahweh's promise of the kingdom come. You know, people that are are worshiping false idols, but so all along the way. Um, Abraham is being protected and pulled through in these rough situations. It's just a, it's an encouraging story to me. And since uh, for many of us, there's many brothers and sisters. So I was telling you, uh, there's been a couple of Bible studies I've been going to. The um, one in the city where my mom lives in, um, there was a brother who I think he was watching uh, one of your broadcasts that I was on, and I think that I had said, you know, I'm, I'm originally from Sassoon, and, and uh, this brother reached out to me, and it's a trip, man, because. I went to a couple of the Bible studies out there visiting my mom on Shabbat. And there are so many brothers and sisters who are moving out of California, right? Because of 
what they're experiencing. It's it mirrors a lot of what you see Abraham being surrounded by, especially with Sodom and Gomorrah. You know, California. I'm trying to be careful because I know that the algorithm triggers certain words and so sure. certain. But um, th there are certain behaviorisms in California that are championed. Um, that we know that the Torah uh, is very, it very explicitly calls an abomination, and um, it. California is making it extremely hard to just be neutral, you know, to just live a, a, a good Christian life, make your money, pay your taxes, pay your bills and just stay out of people's business. It's almost like it's encroaching upon you the same way the mob came at Lot's door. Like Lot wasn't asking for none of that. You know what I'm saying? So it's it, it puts people in a position where they have to move, but it's people are unprepared. You know, a lot of these a lot of the moves that these brothers and sisters at these Bible studies are doing, it's like abrupt. It's not something that was planned out over a year. And so going to these texts in Genesis, it hits different during this time period because you can actually relate to a lot of the different things that are happening, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I can I could see that. And I'm glad people are moving out of there. Um, yeah, I'm glad. So for a variety of reasons, but that's probably a whole nother show. Right. So right now, though, in case everyone in the audience uh, did not realize um, at what Marlo and I were just talking about and explaining, uh, we'd like to hear from you. So put it in the comments. Um, your thoughts on Did You Know? All right, Marlo, I'll start. Or wait, is it your turn to read? Oh, no, I just got done reading. You just, okay, I'll start with 21. All right. All right, here in 21, it says, Now the Lord attended to Sarah as he had said. The Lord did for Sarah what he promised. So Sarah conceived and bore a son to Abraham in his old age at the very time God had promised. And Abraham gave the name Isaac to the son Sarah bore to him. When his son Isaac was eight days old, Abraham circumcised him as God had commanded him. Abraham was 100 years old when his son Isaac was born to him. And Sarah said, God has made me laugh, and everyone who hears of this will laugh with me. She added, Who would have told Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. So the child grew and was weaned, and Abraham held a great feast on the day Isaac was weaned. But Sarah saw that the son whom Hagar and the Egyptians had borne to Abraham was mocking her son. She said to Abraham, Expel the slave woman and her son, for the slave's, slave woman's son will never share in the inheritance with my son Isaac. Now this matter distressed Abraham greatly because it concerned his son Ishmael. But God said to Abraham, Do not be distressed about the boy and your maidservant. Listen to everything that Sarah tells you, for, the, for through Isaac your offspring will be reckoned. But I will also make a nation of the slave woman's son because he is your offering. Early in the morning, excuse me, he is your offspring. Early in the morning, Abraham got up, took bread and a skin of water, put them on Hagar's shoulders, sent her away with the boy. She left and wandered in the wilderness of Beersheba. When the water in the skin was gone, she left the boy under one of the bushes. Then she went off and sat down nearby, about a bow shot away, for she said, I cannot bear to watch the boy die. And as she sat nearby, she lifted up her voice and wept. Then God heard the voice of the boy, and the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven, What is wrong, Hagar? Do not be afraid, for God has heard the voice of the boy where he, li where he lies. Get up, lift up the boy, and take him by the hand. I will make him into a great nation. God opened her eyes, and she saw a well of water. So she went and filled the skin with water and gave the boy a drink. And God was with the boy, and he grew up, and he grew up and settled in the wilderness and became a great archer. And while he was dwelling in the wilderness of Paran, 
His mother got a wife for him from the land of Egypt. And at that time, Abimelech and Phicol, the commander of his army, said to Abraham, God is with you in all that you do. Now, therefore, swear to me here before God that you will not deal falsely with me or my children or descendants. Show to me in the con- and to the country in which you reside the same kindness that I've shown to you. And Abraham replied, I swear it. But when Abraham re- complained to Abimelech about a well that Abimelech's servants had seized, Abimelech replied, I do not know who has done this. You did not tell me, so I have not heard about it until today. So Abraham brought sheep and cattle and gave them to Abimelech, and the two men made a covenant. Abraham separated seven ewe lambs from the flock, and Abimelech asked him, Why have you set apart these seven ewe lambs? He replied, You are to accept the seven ewe lambs from my hand as my witness that I dug this well. So that place was called Beersheba, because it was there that the two of them swore an oath. After they had made the covenant at Beersheba, Abimelech and Phicol, the commander of his army, got up and returned to the land of the Philistines. And Abraham planted a tamarisk tree in Beersheba, and there he called upon the name of the Lord, the Eternal God. And Abraham resided it in the land of the Philistines for a long time. All right, there's there's so much to talk about. We uh, we still have let me see uh, five more chapters, so I guess we should probably try to expedite a, a little bit um, how much we discuss. But man, there's these are just meaty chapters, like I said at the beginning. You said five five more chapters. Oh, we're going through yeah. all of Jeremiah. Oh, I thought, oh okay, okay. Yes, yeah, so we got uh, Genesis twenty two to read. Jeremiah 22 and 23 and Hebrews 13 still. So, mm, okay. Yeah, there's a, there's a lot of fun stuff in here. Um, Sarah did give birth to Isaac and Abraham circumcised him according to the covenant. That's what we got back in Genesis 17. He's following the instructions. He's doing righteousness. Sarah demands Abraham remove Hagar and Ishmael from their household. Now, what I thought was interesting in, in this point was she refers to this woman, woman as the servant or the slave. I know that King James and this, some of these translations use the word slave instead of servant. Uh, slave has a much different connotation in modern American society, mm-hmm. but um, the initial, the root word for that is a servant. And instead of because re- the reason I'm pointing this out is because in previous chapters, when she said to Abraham, "Take Hagar, and you know, and have a seed, have a child with her," well, at that point, Hagar was called his wife. It says Abraham took him, Hagar as his wife. Oh wow! But yet Sarah is still referring to her as a servant or a slave. So in her mind. Hagar is not on the same level. Right, right. Well, I know she felt some type of way when she got got pregnant. I know that the text specifically says when she got pregnant. Yeah. Yeah. Hagar started to despise Sarah. So there's like this enmity between these two ladies already. Mm -hmm. Um, And so then she, you know, she tells Abraham to kick out Hagar and Ishmael. And uh, the angel shows up and was like, yeah, it's let let this happen. But I'm going to make a nation out of Ishmael. It's okay. It's going to be okay. Now, here's the thing that I'm that I struggle with. Hagar, you know, you don't you just don't know. You don't know people's personalities. You don't know people where she came. I mean, to me, it seems like she she was became a part of Abraham's household when they had went down in chapter 13 of Genesis. They went down to Egypt mm-hmm. and uh, Pharaoh had given men servants and maid servants to Abraham. OK, um, along with cattle and a bunch of wealth. I think they acquired her at that point okay. because she's Egyptian. So. It makes me think. I don't. I don't know where. She, who knows her life before that, right? Who knows if she was just a, a servant or a slave to some other household before that, under the king, under Pharaoh, and then was just given as a slave. You know, kind of like uh, um, Eliezer, right? right? Okay. So, what in her mindset? Like, you get kicked out of your house, you got bread and water, and you just immediately go to the wilderness until your bread and water runs out, and then you just go to sit under a tree so you can die. Wow, I hear you. 
Yeah. Think about that. All these other towns in the region. She could have even went and, and sought, you know, emergency refuge with Lot and his clan. You know, the, That's deep. the Ammonites and the Moabites springing up, you know. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, so what's going on here? You know, I mean, like to me, this is she's just she's going through it in her heart and her mind, right? Well, this, she's not handling right. this rejection very well. Right. Right. Because we don't get like if I'll go back to this verse real quick, we don't get the connecting information when you go from verse 19 to 20. So verse 19 to 20, the angel opens her eyes. She sees like, oh, there's a well nearby. She's not even trying to find, she's not even trying to stay alive. She wants to sit under a tree and die. There's there's a well nearby. She could have went to this well and sustained themselves. So how are you taking that? Like how are well, you? Well, I'm saying that? like her whole mentality was until the angel showed up to encourage her. Mm -hmm. She she's not trying to to survive. Are you saying she instead of, instead of going to a nearby town, trying to integrate into a town, trying to offer to work for somebody, trying to do anything, instead of seeking refuge with Lot nearby, she goes out into the wilderness till her food and water runs out. And okay. apparently she's she gets to a point where she's even nearer within eye shot of another well. But she's not even she didn't even see it because that's how blinded she is in her despair. OK, OK, OK. Yeah, because I was going to say, yeah, I, I take this as her being like really depressed. Exactly. You know? Yeah. Yeah. She's she's really yeah, she's depressed. not handling this rejection very well at all. Agreed. Agreed. And, and I as love the results. Go, go ahead. ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> oh, I was just going to say um, God's response to her, you, the compassion that he had for her is um, heartwarming, you mm -hmm. know? Um, yeah, yeah, because she didn't ask for any of the things that were happening to her, you know, right? Yeah, she's she's been given to different people all of her life, and she doesn't, yeah, she's she's feels out of control. But that's, I think, that's you know, this unique little mindset here where the father had to go reignite her heart because we don't get the connecting information from 19 to 20. So after she gets her eyes open to see that, hey, you don't have to die, there's a well right over there, like, mm -hmm. go get some more water. Just, yeah. just relax, you know, like she, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not trying to pick on her, but it's like, she's been a little bit dramatic, you know, she's like, Oh, I'm going to die. I'm just sitting this tree. No, I'm going to sit away from my boy and die alone. <laughs> I don't want to watch him die. And the, and the angel's like, Hey, Hey, tap on the shoulder. There's some water like right there. You yeah. I hear you. It. It's right there. <laughs> so, <laughs> I hear you. so then verse 20, we just get, God was with the boy. He grew up and settled in the wilderness and became a great archer. Well, that's a lot of, lot of in between that we don't get. Right. And yeah, well, how did and, she? And what did it, she do that day? Where did she find food? Where did she? How did she settle? What provisions did she have? Yeah. You know, like that's a lot of missing information we don't get. So, right, that's all I'm saying is that so it, it's a unique mindset where God. I, I guess what I'm trying to be encouraging about to anyone listening is that I've been there. Mm. When I got divorced, I was there. I Understood. just wanted to tune out the world and just wish it all would just go away. Right. Understood. I've been in deep, deep sadness and despair. And God also pulled me out of that, thank God. But in this moment, she's got a little child with her, and God pulls somehow reignites her her mentality, her mind, her heart, her drive for life. Mm -hmm. As I don't even know if she ever was able to acquire that on her own since she was just passed off as a servant to multiple people her whole life. Yeah, yeah. We know, you know? Um, Peter. Uh, he says he's he says to the his counsel to the husbands is you know remember to to uh um deal with your wife in knowledge as she is the weaker vessel 
right? Yeah. Um, the you know uh, I've always understood that to mean you know like a wine glass. A wine glass is technically a, a weaker vessel compared to like a Dixie cup, right? Yeah. If you drop a if you drop a Dixie cup on the ground, it's not going to break. If you drop a wine glass on the ground, it'll break. The wine glass is more valuable than the Dixie cup, right? So it should be it should be treated accordingly. Women um, may deal may have the same circumstances as as men. We tend to get into a hyper intellectual, logical mode when we we're. How how can I say this? When it comes to the survival mentality, we we tend to adjust more because I think that the Most High equipped us for that. We're we're, we're protectors, yeah. we're providers. We go to war, right? The women kind of are supposed to stay at home and, and be protected. So I can understand how it how easy it might have been for her to go into that type of despair, given all those circumstances. I can also I can also relate to what you said. I'm I'm myself. This is my second marriage with Rosie, you know, and I, so I went through that same despair, you know. Um, I didn't go through everything that uh hagar went through though i wasn't kicked yeah. out of a household or anything like that she went you know she went through a lot you know yeah. and i i also like the fact that the most high um count um gave her encouragement regarding her son's outcome you know yeah. the fact that he said you know he's he's gonna be a, he became a great archer but i'm gonna make him a nation that's yeah. beautiful that's a, that, that's a beautiful provision yeah yeah it is this is an encouraging it could be an encouraging story it's just briefly given to us you just really kind of got to dig Facts. into the story to think about what's happening here um we also have at the end of this chapter we had an angel uh or excuse me abimelech and his commander feichel meet a, make a peace tree with abraham over a well that abraham dug so it, it's interesting that these wells are, are given names that they're given locational points they're constantly referenced again and again and that now this is to the point where they're willing to make a treaty over it and i love it how um, Abimelech does this treaty in the presence of, excuse me, I should say, Abraham does this treaty in the presence of Abimelech's commander of the army, Feichel. Hmm. So to me, this is a one, this is extremely wise, right? So this is a, you know how the commanders of armies, generals of armies, you know, throughout history have been notorious for um, taking over the kings, right? Because they Facts. have the army behind them, right? They get that right. military coup or they go out and just go rogue and do their own things because they got the power and no one's going to tell the emperor above them. Right. This is, they're notorious in history for doing this. So this is, to me, this is wisdom. This is Abraham saying, you know, let your, let your right-hand man be here too. Let us all see what's about to happen here. That's so great insight. Knows, that's some you know? great insight right there. That was a nice one. Yeah. That's deep. Yeah. Something to consider, but, Word. um, you want 22 unless you're anything else to say on 21 no no all okay. right so genesis 22 all right it says sometime later god tested abraham and said to him abraham here i am he answered take your son god said your only son isaac whom you love and go to the land of moriah offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains which i uh which i will show you so abraham got up early the next morning saddled his donkey and took along two of his servants and his son Isaac. He split the wood for a burnt offering and set out for the place God had designated. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. Stay here with the donkey, Abraham told his servants. The boy and I will go over there to worship and then we will return to you. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac. He himself carried the fire and the sacrificial knife and the, and the two of them walked on together. Then Isaac said to his father, Abraham, my father, here I am, my son, he replied. The fire and the wood are here, said Isaac, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. 
and the two walked on together. When they arrived at the place God had designated, Abraham built the altar there and arranged the wood. He bound his son Isaac and placed him on the altar atop the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. Just then the angel of Yah called out to him from heaven. Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy or do anything to him, said the angel. For now I know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your only son from me. Then Abraham looked up and saw behind him a ram in the thicket, caught by its thorn, uh, excuse me, caught by its horns. So he went and took the ram and offered it as a burnt offering in place of his son. And Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide, or Yah will provide. So to this day, it is said, on the mountain of Yah, it will be provided. And the angel of Yah called to Abraham from heaven a second time, saying, By myself I have sworn, declares Yah, that because you have done this and have not withheld your, your only son, I will surely bless you, and I will multiply your descendants like the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will possess the gates of their enemies, and through your offspring all nations of the earth will be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. Abraham went back to his servants, and they got up and set out together for Beersheba, and Abraham settled in Beersheba. Sometime later, Abraham was told, Milcah has also borne sons to your brother Nahor. Uz, the firstborn, his brother Booz, uh, Kimuel, the father of Aram, Chesed, Hazo, Pildash, Jidlaf, and Bethul. And Bethul became father to Rebekah. Milcah bore these eight sons to Abraham's brother Nahor. Moreover, Nahor's concubine, whose name was Remua, or excuse me, uh, Reuma, bore Teba, Gaham, Tehash, and Mayaka. I hope I got those names right, Bubba. That's my good <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it's fun. Yeah, I'm gonna get me a uh, me and my brother. I'm gonna get him a shirt that says "Ooze," and I'm gonna have one that says "Booze." <laughs> <laughs> Ooze and booze. Nothing like naming your. Nothing like. I mean, like you know, how parents already uh, mix up their children's names anyway when they get mad. But make them rhyme though. Make them rhyme. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> like we see in, uh, I think it's uh, Numbers chapter eleven. You see uh, Eldad and Medad. Those <laughs> those two guys, Eldad and Medad. Um, all right. So Yahweh tested Abraham by asking him to offer up Isaac on a mountaintop. Lots of people have tried to, you know, talk about this this idea of what you know why what's going on. A lot of people want to come to this. Atheists love to use this. Oh and yeah, say, I know. We're... You know why would he do this? This doesn't make sense. How is he loving God? Guys, I, that's why I put in the summary. It's also in the text, both in Genesis 22 and also Hebrews 11. This was a test. This was not, uh, there, nowhere in Yahweh is in instructions does he condone or instruct human sacrifice. He never does. This was a test. And I love Abraham's response to Isaac in this chapter when Isaac's like, well, where's the ram? And he's like, God will provide a ram. Word, word. <laughs> he, doesn't, he doesn't say, just shut up, boy. Come on. Right. You know, Good it's point. like Abraham already kind of knew, you know, something was up and this this was just some sort of test. So and of course, Abraham, uh, uh, the lamb was in the thicket already provided, mm. you know, so it's like it to me, it's uh, and this is where Jubilee chapter 17, which is one of the cross reference footnotes I had on that slide. Uh, Jubilee 17 tells you this was a test because this was, you know, it says he Abraham uh, passed all these tests. One of them was um Yahweh instructing him to to take Isaac to the mountains. So 
you know, this is in three different places. It tells you it was a test. It was not him instructing him to do unrighteousness. It was a test of how far would you go for me? And right. then of course, that's where that famous verse is, is uh, exegeted from people that look at it and say, but Yahweh's response to him was because you've not withhold, withheld your only son from me or your firstborn son, you know, then I'm going to make you great, you know, bless you. And, and he reaffirms the covenant again. And of course, people tie this directly to Yeshua and say, right. well, because right. Abraham didn't withhold his firstborn. So therefore Yahweh sent his firstborn and didn't withhold him for us. So now there is some strong parallels because Jubilees tells us that the mountaintop that, that Abraham took Isaac to was Mount Zion. Oh yeah. I saw, I saw that in your notes. Yeah. I saw that. That's deep. That's interesting, huh? Yeah. What are your thoughts, brother? Um, I like how when Abraham was leaving, he, he told, he told his household, me and the boy will be back. Right. <laughs> yeah. Right. I know in uh, the new Testament, I, um, I, I can't remember what verse it is where it says that he, even he believed that God could raise Isaac back from the dead. If, if it Hebrews had gone that yeah, Hebrews 11. So yeah. even if it had gone that far, you know, that's how much faith yeah. Abraham had. Now, what now well, another thing, though, is when you see um, how he reacts when he finds out that he's going to have Isaac. Right. Mm -hmm. in, in Genesis 17, then you see the way that he reacts when he finds out Sodom and Gomorrah are going to be destroyed. You see these emotional responses where there's a lot like where there's back and forth or you see him laugh. He's told to sacrifice Isaac, and it seems like he just kind of just goes for it. There, there's no like. But wait, what about this? But wait, what about that? He kind of just does it. And so I wonder if like there was a progression of his trust in God yeah. up to this point. Yeah. You think so? I do. Yeah, I do. Um, one of the other things that Jubilee 17 talks about him being the, the 10 different things that God tested Abraham with and he passed all of them, which is why he calls him a friend, is um, when Sarah dies, um, he purchases the the tomb from Ephron in the land and doesn't. And even though Ephron tries to give him the tomb for free, he's like, no, no, I'm going to give you money for this. That's what's up. And the text says, even though Abraham had already been promised by Yahweh that the land was his, he didn't, he, he was patient in spirit and didn't make a deal of it with Ephron trying to find a barrel plot for Sarah and just went ahead and paid the price. So wow. the, the implication there is the promise of this was that all this land that these Canaanites are inhabiting, you're going to inherit this forever from between the Euphrates to the Nile, Genesis 15. So he already knew that this land was going to be given him. And that we tried to talk about this in the last tour portion. He, the, the resurrection is inherently assumed in all that. Mm -hmm. um, it's part of the covenant. And, and Enoch directly tells you like it's, it's, you know, especially if we take Jubilee seriously and it tells us Abraham had the writings of Enoch passed down from Noah. So um, he would have known why he's being promised this covenant land of promise in this specific geographic area that he's living in, that it says he's sojourning in, not permanent resident, not inheriting, but sojourning in, right? He's a temporary dweller in this land, and he knew right. it. That's what Hebrews 11, 10 through 14 says, right? That he sojourned in that land knowing that he was looking for a city whose architect and builder was God. Right. So like he, he knew that the city wasn't there, was going to be there, and on that particular geographical plot of land, and that the inhabitants of that land of that day were not his, right? Uh, or were not, were not going to be permanently there. And the resurrection had to come as a part of the covenant. Um, so it, to me, this like all of that, all that blends into his confidence in this moment, like you're like you're seeing right where it's not because this is what uh, so according to Jubilees, this is like 30 years after this. Uh, Isaac is like 30 years old at this point. 
Okay, yeah, that was the, that was another thing I was going to ask. You know, yeah. um, there's a lot of people who think that Isaac was a you know like a six, seven, eight years old. I've even seen yeah. like cartoon movies of Abraham and Isaac where you know right. Isaac is depicted as a child. You know, but in reality, he was an adult at this time. Yeah, yeah. So he knew what he was getting into too. He could have got down off that when he was being tied up. That's right. <laughs> he could have got That's a great point. Not been, but, you know what I mean. So. There, there's a lot going on here where these guys know they know the promise, they know the covenant they're in, they know the story, they know the gospel, yeah. the kingdom is what I always try to remind people. So that th gives them that, you know, like like we see in Amos 2 7, where Yahweh promises, I don't do anything without first telling my servants, you know, the prophets. Abraham's a prophet. Right. He Facts. knows he knows the end of the story, guys. He's Facts. he's been told it. He's read it in Enoch. <laughs> I'm so, so glad you said that. I'm so glad you said yeah. that. Because there's so many people who they they have this perspective of Abraham that you know you know progressive revelation type type idea where yeah. Abraham no, had no clue really about how things were going to manifest in paradise and things like that. But I've 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 seen you exegete using you know the apocalypse of Abraham. It gives a whole new meaning to when Yeshua says you know Abraham saw my day and rejoiced. You know what yeah. I'm saying? Like so when when we're talking when we talk about like the New Jerusalem when we talk about the land. Abraham had the right idea. It's just he didn't live to see the promise fulfilled, you know? Right. Yeah, which is exactly what Hebrews 11, 39 and 40 tells you, um, was that none of those guys saw, saw it all fulfilled yet. Um, that's going to happen on a, on a singular day at the resurrection, the return of Christ, the coming, the coming of the kingdom. So that's just something to me. Like, I, I think that these guys knew the end of the story. I think he knew this was a test, which is why he not only said what you repeated, tells his family we'll both be back. He then answers Isaac, God will provide a ram, you know? So like he, he knew, he knew this was a test Amen. in my opinion. Um, and this part right here, I got the last bullet point. Um, about yeah, I, I wanted to touch on that before we moved on. Yeah. I love that point there. Go ahead. Yeah. And I think I've highlighted it. I think uh, maybe not. Yeah, I don't think it, so, I don't think it was highlighted. This is, he calls him He and he says, cause you didn't withhold your only son. And that is the KJV wording. It says your only son. Mm -hmm. Um, in verse 16 here on screen, because you have done this and not withheld your only son. Now in Jubilees 18, 14 through 19, Yahweh says the same statement, but he says your firstborn son. But if you actually look up um, in, in the, I think it was the Septuagint. It doesn't mm -hmm. say either, but it just says you've with, you know, withheld your Maybe beloved son. Beloved son. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's interesting because, you know, i just something to consider but even if it even if he if it's not beloved even if it is just firstborn the firstborn is a term is an idiomatic phrase the hebrews used to denote someone that was going to inherit uh the the authority from the father so this wasn't just simply about chronological birth mm -hmm. this this the, that's why uh, jacob gets the firstborn rights right. from esau right. so this isn't just simply about because we know Ishmael's already been born, but Ishmael was not prophesied to to get the the seed passed down to him, the seed of the authority of the priesthood, um, whom is in, in inherently in the promise, like we've talked about in the last Torah portion. Isaac also was said, "I will make him his name great too," just like mm -hmm. Abraham's name was made great. That's referring to their priestly authority as a part of their priesthood, and so this is where the firstborn would have also been passed down the priesthood. That was the intended option. Obviously, the firstborn has to follow after the ways of Yahweh and show that propensity, but um, that is how it was supposed to be passed down. And so therefore, right. to me, this is, you know, this is why it's using that terminology. God knows Ishmael's already been born. This isn't a mistake. Agreed. This is a Hebrew idiom speaking about passing on authority. Facts.
Yeah. So that's my understanding of it. Yeah, um, great point. Great point. And guys, just in case you didn't know that he was taking him out Zion, let us know in the comments what you think. All right, Marlo, we got some fun stuff to cover in Jeremiah 22 and 23. That's actually going to lead us into a little bit of Ezekiel into a rabbit trail. So I, this is something that you and I have never had a chance to discuss, the things that we're about to discuss in these following okay. chapters. So are you ready? Let's do it. All right. Who, who read last? I can't remember anymore. I, I read last because I had to do all the names. <laughs> oh, that's right. Okay. So, <laughs> Jeremiah 22, one through four. This is what the Lord says. Go down to the palace of the King of Judah and proclaim this message there saying, hear the word of the Lord, O King of Judah, who sits on the throne of David, you and your officials and your people who enter these gates. This is what the Lord says. Administer justice and righteousness. Rescue the victim of robbery from the hand of his oppressor. Do no wrong or violence to the foreigner, the fatherless or the widow. Do not shed innocent blood in this place. For if you indeed carry out these commands, then kings who sit on David's throne will enter through the gates of this palace, riding on chariots and horses, they and their officials and their people. But if you do not obey these words, then I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that this house will become a pile of rubble. For this is what the Lord says concerning the house of the king of Judah. You are like Gilead to me, like the summit of Lebanon, but I will surely turn you into a desert like cities that are uninhabited. I will appoint destroyers against you, each man with his weapons. They will cut down the choicest of your cedars and throw them into the fire. Many nations will pass by this city and ask one another, Why has the Lord done such a thing to this great city? Then people will reply, Because they have forsaken the covenant of the Lord their God and have worshipped and served other gods. Do not weep for the dead king. Do not mourn his loss. Weep bitterly for the one who was exiled, for he will never return to see his native land. For this is what the Lord says concerning Shalom, son of Josh Josiah, king of Judah, who succeeded his father Josiah, but has gone forth from this place. He will never return, but he will die in the, pallet, the place to which he was exiled. He will never see this land again. Woe to him who builds his palace by unrighteousness and his upper rooms without justice, who makes his countrymen serve without pay and fails to pay their wages, who says, I will build myself a great palace with spacious upper rooms. So he cuts windows in it, panels in it with cedar, paints it with vermilion. Does it make you a king to excel in cedar? Did not your father have food and drink? He administered justice and righteousness, and so it went well with him. He took up the cause of the poor and the needy, and so it went well with him. Is this not what it means to know me, declares the Lord. But your eyes and heart are set on nothing except your own dishonest gain, on shedding innocent blood, on practicing extortion and oppression. Therefore, this is what the Lord says concerning Jehoiakim, son of Josiah, king of Judah. They will not mourn for him. Alas, my brother. Alas, my sister. They will not mourn for him. Alas, my master. Alas, his splendor. He will be buried like a donkey, dragged away and thrown outside the gates of Jerusalem. Go up to Lebanon and cry out. Raise your voice in the Bashan. Cry out from Abarim, for all your lovers have been crushed. I warned you when you were secure. You said, I will not listen. This has been your way from youth, that you have not obeyed my voice. The wind will drive away all your shepherds, and your lovers will go into captivity. Then you will be ashamed and humiliated because of all your wickedness. O inhabitant of Lebanon, nestled in the cedars, how will you groan when pangs of anguish come upon you, agony like a woman in labor? As surely as I live, declares the Lord, even if you, Koniah, son of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, 
were a signet on my right hand, I would pull you off. In fact, I will hand you over to those who, who you dread, who, who want to take your life, to Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, to the Chaldeans. I will hurl you and the mother who gave you birth into another land where neither of you were born, and there you both will die. You will never return to this land for which you long. And this man, Coniah, of despised a shattered pot, a jar that no one wants. Why are he and his descendants hurled out and cast into a land they do not know? O land, 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 hear the word of the Lord. This is what the Lord says. Enroll this man as childless, a man who will not prosper in his lifetime. None of his descendants will prosper to sit on the throne of David or to rule again in Judah. All right. Covers, it covers uh, quite a bit of concepts here in Jeremiah 22, where we see the corruption of the southern kingdom of Judah. Um, mm -hmm. Immediately after the days of Josiah, Josiah was a righteous king. But now we got um, his sons have taken over. Well, Shalom, Shalom took over first, but then he got exiled. He got uh, deposed and exiled, and then that's where the Jehoiachin guy took mm -hmm. over. Mm -hmm. And just, just for the reader or for um, the listener, people in the audience, so you got Josiah at the top, and then Shalom took over. Shalom was deposed and exiled. So then his brother, Jehoiakim, took over. And um, and then Jehoiachin is the son of Jehoiakim. And Jehoiachin had a, a nickname, Ko Koinim or something like that. What was it? Mm -hmm. uh, Koniah was his Koniah. nickname. Yeah, but that's Jehoiachin. Did, did, did Shalom also have a nickname? I, I feel like I think he had a different name, like Jehoah has or something like that. Yeah, Shalom wasn't his only name. You're right. Yeah. Okay. Because I think I've read about remember. him in other places. Yeah, this is. I believe this account is paralleled in Chronicles as well. So. Okay. Um, yeah, this is a unique concept where Josiah was a righteous king. He was the one that you know he found the book of the law. Right. Like, oh my God. Right. Why aren't we doing this? Let's get back to this. And I, man, I love the sass in this chapter that Yahweh's just like, <laughs> look, at this, look at this verse, look at this verse in uh, verse 15. Does it make you a king to excel in cedar? <laughs> <laughs> Did not your father have food and drink? He administered man, justice yeah. and righteousness so it went well with him. He took up the cause of the poor and needy and so it went well with him. And this, this part hit me hard when I was studying this. He goes, is this it, it not is what not it means, what to, means know me? to know me? Oof. I mean, if you don't know, if you want a, an Old Testament definition outside of First John, that doing the commandments of Yahweh is what it means Amen. to know him. Here it is, Amen. guys. Amen. Just right here. Yahweh tells through Jeremiah directly to this uh, unrighteous king, Jehoiakim, if you want to know me, do righteousness and justice, which is laid out in the Torah, instructions in the Torah, and take care of the poor and the needy. Like that's Deuteronomy 15. That's that's Facts. his heart. This is James James one twenty eight, the pure and undefiled religion. Take care of the widow, the orphans, and keep yourself uncorrupted from the world. I mean, this is it. Right. So it doesn't have to be complicated. And these kings, of course, you know, they get puffed up on their wealth and pride and and their influences from other nations, and they start doing idolatry. And and of course, therefore, unrighteousness has to come in when you start doing idolatrous ways because it's built into the idolatry. Um, I tried to actually touch on that a little bit with my mark of the beast episode on on kingdom cast when i was going through my investigating babylon series and i was trying to show the the old school um the old i think we're going to read about his name actually in chapter 23 here in a minute but um uh just spoiler alert for anyone that's not seen that episode uh nurgle one of the sumerian akkadian gods mentioned in jeremiah here is mm -hmm. the one we see as hades or hermes uh that the new testament references as the actual second beast 
um, oh, wow. who in institutes the idea of worshiping the first beast. So that's when you do the tracing of the names back, you find that Nurgle, this guy that's mentioned in Jeremiah, uh, this Akkadian Sumerian God, um, he's actually Hades, the character Hades that the Greeks worshiped. And huh. what, he, what he was synonymous with, let me try to get a drink real quick. He was his temples were synonymous with a place of commerce. Oh wow! So people would bring the goods to his temples, and then they would do. It was like an Amazon distribution facility. <laughs> yeah, nice and analogy. So right? <laughs> yeah, I'm sure it's probably more apt than we all know. So he was he was revered, and that type of wickedness and uh, being a false god, and and the practical things they did as a part of worship to that false god and honoring that false god was that the pagan nations would literally use his temples as a point of resource distribution. Wow. Wow. That's deep. So okay. in order for you to come to that place, you had to abide by the, whatever weights and measures the priests of that temple had established to bring forward your resource for sacrifice. And those sacrifices and the resources you brought forward as an offering to that God would then go into their storehouse, which became the point of resource and the point wow. of, um, of economic uh, stability, if you will. So this is where, you know, if you're going to be worshiping false gods, you've, you're subject to their weights and measures, which they were notorious for having unjust and unequal weights and measures mm -hmm. because it's, they're corrupt. Right, right, right. <laughs> they're not trying to do justice and righteousness and administer things properly. And they definitely didn't have a widow's fund or a poor needy fund, right? Because right. they were, they were amassing wealth out of greed. Like this was a, a concept of the, the strong rule. Um, so anyway, yeah, that's, that's a couple of thoughts on that. No, that's deep. That's deep. That's deep. That's a lot to meditate on. What are your thoughts in this chapter, brother? Um, I'm because we just read 18 through 22. My brain yeah. is like trying to connect. Like how we're going to connect these uh, Abraham's story because I'm. So I'm I'm somewhat in a cognitive dissonance. I'm following uh chapter 22, but I guess that's just where my mind's at. Um I that's love okay. how I, I love how we highlighted um Yah's statements about the the poor and the needy because and and you highlighted some points about you know widows and orphans because we just saw what happened with Hagar and Ishmael. Mm -hmm. It's in the it's in the most high's MO to look out that's for right. the downtrodden, yeah. you know, and yeah, he expects right. his followers to do the same. Yeah, and even though Hagar technically wasn't a widow, she's in the same financial position as a widow Facts. in that moment. Facts. You know, so he's taking care of the spirit of the law still applies, and Yahweh's still administering his servants to go out and, and adjudicate the spirit of the law to someone in need. And that's it's beautiful. Um, but my we're gonna get into 23, which has more, but one of my uh goals with the Torah portions was to incorporate more of the law and the prophets. Um, okay. whereas the previous two years, I, I had been incorporating a lot of, uh, extra biblical texts that are not right. the American canon mm -hmm. to show how they all correlate and line up. But I wanted to also help people understand the middle of the book, if you will, That's and dope. how it, it's still relevant. And we get all that foundation from Genesis through Deuteronomy to these concepts that are expounded upon in the middle of the book with all these stories of these Kings and prophets. And this is one of them where Josiah, a righteous King walking in the ways of the faith of Abraham. His sons did not. The curses come upon his sons. Josiah was blessed. His curses, the curses come upon his sons where he's immediately being deported and overtaken by foreign kings. Whereas mm. with, with Abraham, he's protected from foreign kings because wow. he's doing yeah. the ways of Yahweh. Wow, that's deep. Yeah. 
So that's that's the biggest uh, tie-in for me. But uh, it's very interesting that um, through Jeremiah, we see that um, Shalom, who was in exile at this time, when Jehoiakim's hearing this message, he's telling, look, your brother's not coming back. Oh, and by the way, that doesn't mean that your kingship is going to be glorious either. Um, <laughs> you know, it's like, because your father was doing what's right, but you since childhood have not done what's right. He gets called Man. out from, from childhood. He's like, your ways have been wicked since you were young. That's crazy. Yahweh's like, Hey, I, I know you <laughs> for real. You know, he's, he's not letting him slide on anything. And then he tells you, <laughs> I mean, he will die unceremoniously like a donkey thrown outside the city gates. He's not even going to get a King's burial. Man. So I would have repented if I was Jehoiakim at this point, but right. uh, apparently he didn't. And then jo Jeremiah declares Jehoiakim's son is not going to be prosperous. Is not going so even your legacy is not going to be good. Uh, he's going to die at the hand of Nebuchadnezzar when he comes in. Mm -hmm. And so, man, it's boy, 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 boy. Yeah, I mean, it makes you wonder: Did Jehoiachin, the son of Jehoiakim, did he hear this prophecy from Jeremiah in real time? I don't know. Or did Jehoiakim just protect it? You know protect his son from the evil words of Jeremiah trying to prognosticate doom on us, you know, and just, and just not tell his son the words of admin of warning from Yahweh. You know, I can I definitely, know. I well, I can definitely see the latter uh, being the case, especially when, when we see how they treated Jeremiah. Right. You know, didn't they, didn't they tar him? Mm -hmm. They had him in a yeah. pit and then the Ethiopian had to look out for him. <laughs> yeah, man, he was, he was, uh, much props to him much props to him um yeah these prophets went through things that we've never experienced in our culture right right you know? but um so it's, it's just a, it's a it's almost it's a it's a violent antithesis to, to keep in torah when we see the when we see the israelites in captivity they didn't just end up there you know when these kings are being spoken to the way that the most high is speaking to them it's it's not by happenstance. When you read like first and second kings and you know the the scrolls that kind of give a synopsis of of different kingships and the successions of kings, and you look at what these kings were doing, you you bring up a lot about like satanic rituals and child sacrifice and stuff like that. These things became the order of the day, you know, in the nation of Israel by order of the kings. Yeah, out and open public public displays. It, yeah, it, it's something about like this it's just like a violent and like i said violent antithesis to, to torah which is not torah is so beautiful when when you look at all the yeah. provisions in torah you would just start to ask yourself you know what kind of person do you have to be for the most high to call you wicked to have that type of disposition for his behavior you know i, I just I, it's hard for me to you know conceptualize sometimes yeah it's a unique uh, mindset because even those countries and those cultures that do that wicked, violent behavior try to mask it with charity and goodwill and, you know, um, is, is humility. And this is why I love Colossians uh, chapter two. Paul calls out these human traditions and says that they're wrapped in false humility. Mm. And as you're just like, oh, it's just so accurate. It's so true because we that see it today, deep. right? Save, you know, global warming, right? Global climate change. We got to change. Wow. We got to save the world. You know, therefore, we're going to tax you extra to the tune of trillions of dollars with the VAT tax. Uh, therefore, we're going to restrict you from doing trade, which is going to decrease your lifestyle. And we're going to take away resources from you, which is going to decrease your ability to sustain yourself and perpetuate your families. Oh, because we're doing this because we care well, about where you yeah, live. Yeah, we want to help you. We want to help you. Yeah. You know? 
And you're just like, that's not how this world was designed. That's not, you know, it, it, it's no, funny. I even right had a, a brother of mine that was, uh, he's, he's not a brother of the faith to, to my knowledge since, since the last time I talked to him, he still was not a believer, but he had been a believer. He had been a, 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 a brother. I want to call him a brother as a, as a friend, but he I'm had been sure. a brother that went to church and grew up in church. But then when he became his own man in his early twenties, he, he didn't, he, he was unfortunately a casualty of bad theology in churches. And okay. so he moved away from church and didn't, you know, he didn't fall for it. And I, and uh, you know, I don't know if he watches my channel now, but man, I'm like, man, I wish he would watch my channel now. Cause he could see that um, when he first met me, I had zeal without knowledge wow. and he was, he thought he, and in some way he respected that zeal, but I had no knowledge to back when we would have theological conversations. I couldn't back it. I couldn't point to the scriptures yet and show them this is what this means. This is what this means. Cause I was still under that haze of bad church theology as well, thinking that mm -hmm. this is, this is what there was. And this is what we had to figure out. Thankfully the father brought me into what I feel is a more better point of clarity to understand his word, how consistent it is front to back and how it's simplified. We're just trying to practice the behavior of the almighty. Like Amen. you said, the enemy, the enemy has a violent reaction to that. They don't like that. He didn't understand the simplicity of that. I didn't understand the simplicity of that back then. But even back then, it's funny that he would talk about the 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 propaganda of global warming, and he would go, "Man, this Earth." He's like, "This Earth would just shake us off if we were truly destroying it." You know, and he's like, but he was coming from this strange mentality of like, you know, if this um, if this was really within an evolutionary mindset of the earth itself perpetuating life mm -hmm. according to mm -hmm. Darwinian evolution, right? Right. Is that, and is that the route he ended up taking? That's the route he ended up uh, taking? I couldn't speak for him currently, but okay. this was, I mean, cause this was like 2002, right? So this is a okay. while back, but I just remember him from, from this mindset of like, oh, if the earth was a, an evolutionary creation and we're here because things have perpetually leaned towards survival of the fittest, then the earth itself would have already shaken off its inhabitants. If you think the inhabitants are destroying the ecosystem of the earth, mm -hmm. if the earth is in this prism or this lens of Darwinian evolution. And I was like, Oh, that's pretty smart. That's, that's, you know, I think that's, there's something there, right? It's he basically, he didn't, whether he knew he it or not, he was calling out, he was calling out the contradictory the nature of the propaganda versus the indoctrination. Right. right? So the indoctrination we've all received in public schools was, this this earth and everything that we exist in is created from a form of evolution, which is things became better over time according to the what what survived and what didn't. But yet now you're trying to say that produced mankind who now has the ability to destroy that whole process. I follow you. That's yeah. that's the contradiction of that theology of that right. that cultic nonsense theology anyway. So it, it was funny that he had actually you know stumbled upon that at such a young age. And that uh, always stuck with me. And I just wish he knew the simplicity of the scriptures at, you know, at his older age. <laughs> and um, right. But yeah, it, in that same vein, that's the way I've seen. Uh, I've seen people try to take. Let me say this the right way. They've tried to take the the goodness of the father. And they, they want to twist it because of the, the world has convinced them to twist it. Right. Mm. And to say that the father's not good. And so therefore you've got to. You know, you've got to have this, you have to come up with your own moral standard of humility because they don't like the father's standard of judgment. So therefore, this is what atheists are famous for, right? So they, they ignore the father's standard of what's right and what's wrong. They create their own standard of morality to which they infuse 
according to their understanding of life and whatever they've been indoctrinated with, this false sense of humility to justify mm -hmm. their different belief mm -hmm. because they, they, they wrap it in what they call compassion in order to justify why they think it's okay to kill a baby in the womb. Mm -hmm. Because mm -hmm. they say, well, that baby, that baby would have grown up and been poor. It wouldn't have been cared for. Kill it. You're like, whoa, how do those two things go together? Right. <laughs> right. No, seriously. When you're awake, you you catch that stuff. It sounds crazy to you. When you're not, though, it 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 sounds like a coherent connection, you know. Yeah. Which is which is why there's so much, which is why there's still a debate about it, you know. Which is why people still argue for it. And just like that, we're back in the garden, you know. The Most High is. Yep. I look at the scriptures. The Most High does not seem like he's hard to serve at all. Anything that he asks his people to do, not only does it seem simple to to implement, but it it only benefits you. You know, That's you look right. at the garden, you know, you can have all this stuff, other stuff to eat, but don't mess with my tree in the middle of the garden. That's not a lot of, that's, right. that's not a lot of rules. And then all of a sudden Satan is seemingly cloaked in compassion, you know, like, oh, you won't die. You'll be like him. You know, this, this will be, this is good for you. Right. Like he's speaking on their behalf, you know, looking out for him. It's a, it's yeah. a satanic methodology, you know, but I think that the most yeah. high has to open your eyes to see that. You know, I agree with you. Yeah, that's a good thought. He does. He does have to do that. And that's why I pray that people find these videos and it helps them. You Amen. want 23? Absolutely. Let me pull up my slides. Um, right. Give me one second. All right. So it says, woe to the shepherds who destroy and scatter the sheep of my pastor, uh, declares the Lord. Therefore, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says about the shepherds who tend my, who tend my people. You have scattered my flock and driven them away, and have not attended to them. Behold, I will attend to you for the evil of your deeds, declares the Lord. Then I myself will gather the remnant of my flock from all the lands to which I have banished them, and I will return them to their pasture, where they will be fruitful and multiply. I will raise up shepherds over them who will tend them, and they will no longer be afraid or dismayed, nor will any go missing, declares the Lord. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, and he will reign wisely as king and will administer justice and righteousness in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will dwell securely. And this is his name by which he will be called. The Lord is our, is, is our righteousness. So behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when they will no longer say, as surely as the Lord lives, who brought the Israelites up out of the land of Egypt. Instead, they will say, as surely as the Lord lives, who brought and led the descendants of the house of Israel up out of the land of the north and all the other lands to which he had banished them. Then they will dwell once more in their own land. As for the prophets, my heart is broken within me and all my bones tremble. I have become like a drunkard, like a man overcome by wine because of the Lord, because of his holy words. For the land is full of adulterers because of the curse, the land mourns and the pastures of the wilderness have dried up. Their course is evil and their power is misused. For both prophet and priest are ungodly. Even in my house, I have found their wickedness, declares the Lord. Therefore, their path will become slick. They will be driven away into the darkness and fall into it. For I will bring disaster upon them in the year of their punishment, declares the Lord. Among the prophets of Samaria, I saw an offensive thing. They prophesied by Baal and led my people Israel astray. And among the prophets of Jerusalem, I have seen a horrible thing. They commit adultery and walk in lies. They strengthen the hands of evildoers so that no one turns his back on wickedness. 
They are all like Sodom to me. The people of Jerusalem are like Gomorrah. Therefore, this is what the Lord of hosts says concerning the prophets. I will feed them wormwood and give them poison water to drink. For from the prophets of Jerusalem, ungodliness has spread throughout the land. This is what the Lord of hosts says. Do not listen to the words of the prophets who prophesy to you. They are filling you with false hopes. They speak visions from their own minds, not from the mouth of the Lord. They keep saying to those who despise me, the Lord says that you will have peace. And to everyone who walks in the stubbornness of his own heart, no harm will come to you. But which of them has stood in the counsel of the Lord to see and hear his word? Who has given heed to his word and obeyed it? Behold, the storm of the Lord has gone out with fury, a whirlwind swirling down upon the heads of the wicked. The anger of the Lord will not turn back until he has fully accomplished the purposes of his heart. In the days to come, you will understand this clearly. I did not send these prophets, yet they have run with their message. I did not speak to them, yet they have prophesied. But if they had stood in my counsel, they would have proclaimed my words to my people and turned them back from their evil ways and deeds. Am I only a God nearby, declares the Lord, and not a God far away? Can a man hide in secret places where I cannot see him, declares the Lord. Do I not fill the heavens and the earth, declares the Lord? I have heard the sayings of the prophets who prophesy lies in my name. I had a dream. I had a dream. How long will this continue in the hearts of these prophets who prophesy falsehood? These prophets of the delusion of their own minds. They suppose the dreams that they tell one another will make my people forget my name, just as their fathers forgot my name uh, through the worship of Baal. Let the prophet who has a dream retell it, but let him who has my word speak it truthfully. For what is straw compared to grain, declare, declares the Lord? Is not my word like fire, declares the Lord, and like a hammer that smashes a rock? Therefore, behold, declares the Lord. I am against the prophets who steal from one another words they attribute to me. Yes, declares the Lord. I am against the prophets who wag their own tongues and proclaim, The Lord declares it. Indeed, declares the Lord. I am against those who prophesy false dreams and tell them to lead my people astray with their reckless lies. It was not I who sent them or commanded them, and they are of no benefit at all to these people, declares the Lord. Now, when this people or a prophet or priest asks you, what is the burden prophecy, uh, prophecy of the Lord? You are to say to them, what burden or prophecy? I will forsake you, declares the Lord. As for the prophet or priest or anyone who claims this is the burden or prophecy of the Lord, I will punish that man and his household. This is what each man is to say to his friend and to his brother. What has the Lord answered? What has the Lord spoken? But refer no, no more to the burden or prophecy of the Lord, for each man's word becomes the burden, so that you pervert the words of the living God, the Lord of hosts, our God. Thus you are to say to the prophet, what has the Lord answered you? And what has the Lord spoken? But if you claim this is the burden, prophecy of the Lord, then this is what the Lord says. Because you have said this, this is the burden of the Lord. And I specifically told you not to make this claim. Therefore, I will surely forget you and will cast you out of my presence, both you and the city that I gave to you and your fathers. And I will bring upon you everlasting shame and perpetual humiliation that will never be forgotten. Some harsh words. Some oh, harsh man. Words for these dudes. Yeah, the most high guess. Most high doesn't play when it, when it comes no. to, you know, prophets speaking on his name and stuff like that. Yeah. He's I like, love verses <laughs> like this though. 
I love the little subtle, uh, the subtle, I don't want to call them jabs, but I mean, he's just sitting there going, he's just subtly putting them in their place. I mean, like, what is straw to grain? Man. You know, he's, he's your words are nothing compared to my words and your words Man. are false. And why do, you, why do you keep claiming that your words are my words? Stop it. Um, but at the very beginning of this, uh, we have Yahweh through this prophet Jeremiah. He's proclaiming a warning to the unfaithful leaders of Israel who teach and promote anti-covenant sinful behaviors. He tells them at the very Facts. beginning, I have both prophet and priest doing unrighteousness, evilness, and not leading people to repentance. And that's That was the fundamental job of a prophet and priest, was that right. you teach people the ways of Yahweh, lead them into repentance, build them up, disciple them. And he's like, I've been, we found ourselves in a place here in during the days of Jeremiah. This is in the southern kingdom. This is right before Zedekiah is going to be taken over uh, the place of um, Jehoiakim. And then uh, Nebuchadnezzar from Babylon comes in and invades. So this is like all within that time period of leading up to the invasion from Babylon. Um, the first the first invasion that happened in a, a stage stages that um, Nebuchadnezzar invaded and, and deported the southern kingdom happened in stages. So this is the very beginning of it because they had just crossed the line so much. Just like the promise of the covenant, which is Yahweh tells them, if you don't do my behavior, you'll be invaded and scattered and exiled to foreign lands. I promise you, you know, so this is just like, this is about to happen. And Jeremiah is trying to warn them. So in, in this warning though, it's, it's unique. And tell me what you think about this. Cause he also mixes into this prophecy or this uh, admonition, he mixes in the, uh, the the promise of the coming Messiah that will mm -hmm. sit on the throne of David and, and reign over Israel and Judah with justice and righteousness, and they will be saved in that day and reign and live securely, right? Which is the fulfillment of, of the second coming of the Messiah, the kingdom come. What, what I mean, what do you think he mentions that in this prophecy here? Because they were in captivity, <laughs> right? Uh, yeah. You know, yeah. The um, north, the northern house was definitely already in captivity, right? Um, I, I don't think that uh, the the Israelites um, were how I'm trying to think of how to say this accurately. Um, I could I could imagine living during that time period and um, just losing hope, just losing hope. I don't think Jeremiah was the only righteous person. In the nation, right? I no. definitely. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah. I would say that that same mentality that you're talking about about losing hope. Um, this is what the Book of Baruch, which was mm -hmm. Jeremiah's scribe, right? In Second Baruch, chapter four, he's it starts off this conversation of, well, what's going to happen if we're if we're deported and exiled? Who's going to teach your law? What right. what light will there be for the nations? The right, you the know, righteous like of he's God confused. Are always righteous of God are that's always like their primary concern it's it's like yeah. you know Yah's prophecies co coming to fulfillment his kingdom being established his name not being desecrated right the covenant of Abraham coming to its full manifestation and I can yeah. understand you know we as human beings because um sometimes we we think we need to have everything figured out as with regards to how God can possibly make something happen given the circumstances at play you know sometimes we can think oh no well it's ruined you know <laughs> sometimes it's good to have the most high reassure us, you know, for those of us who are actually looking forward to those promises being fulfilled. And so I think that that's why we see a lot of this language um, in Jeremiah. But it, it, it made a lot of people angry, you know, because yeah. the, these priests and these prophets were being condemned because they weren't, like yes. you said, they weren't doing what they were, were supposed to be doing. Yeah, I mean, at one point he says what the prophets are committing adultery and strengthening the hands of the wicked. I don't, mm -hmm. I, don't I would 
not exactly sure what that means, but I, I can imagine easily what that means to strengthen the hands of the wicked, you know, that you're promoting either corrupt businesses or unjust right. wasted measures at businesses for trade and export or what, I don't know. Um, mm -hmm. Or just the fact that you're getting paid to prophesy falsely and give people right. a false narrative because you're getting money behind the table from the Assyrian Kings because they're trying to strategize to how do they want to invade you. And of course they want the people thinking everything's going to be okay when they come in. Like that's, I mean, is is this not the modern day uh, Q psyop that we're experiencing in the last Word. two years, three Word. years, five years, actually. Um, you know, everyone was like, oh, no, don't worry about, you know, if we got this, they're going to uncover the cabal and they're going to take out the world leaders. And it's going to be they're going to uncover all this, the slave trades and all the sex trafficking and all that. And you're like, no, yeah. that still hasn't happened. That never happened. Yeah. And it's not going to happen until Yeshua comes back. I'm just sorry Word. to tell you. Word. Word. Um, I mean, we see it in Revelation 18. That's just still happening when he comes back. You, we also have uh, people who represent what's you know, what most people think of when they hear the term Christian, right? These are the pastors on TV standing side by side with politicians who write into legislation things that are diametrically opposed to to God's commandments, right? And and, and they know this because uh, they you've gone through you've gone through seminary, you've gone through Bible college, you know what the Bible says about certain. Well, sexual practices and yeah. you know things like that and and you know and i saw a lot of this on uh this is one of the reasons why i i, I couldn't do facebook anymore um okay. because I, I have so many people in my life that are on both sides and it's hard for me to to understand how you can have a bible whether or not you're reading it i don't know but when you know you have this political candidate and this whole constituency where their values are condemned all throughout the Bible, right? Mm -hmm. You're piggybacking off of the fact that some of your church leaders are sponsoring and endorsing these politicians who are who are clearly writing things into legislation, the values of which run diametrically opposed to Torah. I'm trying to be very careful with the words I use because sure. I'm not trying to trigger yeah. the algorithm, you know? Um, I love reading when the Most High is talking like this because he sees the injustice, it makes him sick, and he's going to rectify it, you yeah. know? Um, and so it's understandable to have that type of loathing for those for that type of lifestyle, for, for, for that type of situation. But it seems like uh, pagan world rulers and people of faith who are, you know, false in their walk always seem to form an alliance somehow you know that's right yeah and this is why i think deuteronomy 13 is such a strong uh point of administering justice in the torah community is because if someone says to you i had a dream just like he mentions jeremiah 22 right or jeremiah 23 if, if someone tells you i had a dream of yahweh and we're supposed to do this but yet it goes against the established behavior and covenant terms of yahweh hmm. don't listen to them in fact right. you know take them out because that what that indicates, like you're pointing out here, is that they're willing to stay in that community and stay in that land and ignore the God of that land, the terms of that community covenant land, and be basically a double agent for outside lands who are involved with outside behaviors that well, are destructive stated. and evil. So they're more that duplicitousness is more abhorrent than just the enemy who doesn't know any better and tries to attack Israel. You see what I mean? So the father's like, yeah, these dudes, you you be the first one to to administer justice on them, and they and that justice is the death penalty because they're they're trying to sell you out 
to the enemy. The enemy, the enemy has been raised in a totally different indoctrination. This mm-hmm. person, they're trying to, they're trying to use the buzzwords of the faith right. while selling you out. They're worse, right. you know? So this is where, yeah, I agree with you, man. The father just gets really upset about this. <laughs> he does. He doesn't take it, doesn't take it kindly. And so then we also have a, um, Jeremiah prophesies destruction against the false prophets of the land of Judah and Samaria. Cause like, like if you know that history of the time, it's about a hundred years before between the Northern house being invaded by the Assyrian Kings and deported. And then Nebuchadnezzar invading the Southern house and deporting them. And so in that hundred years, you had all this weird hodgepodge of people that had assembled in the Northern house territories, which now had become called Samaria. Mm. And there were still people from multiple tribes, as listed in First Chronicles chapter 30, eight and a half tribes were in the whole region of both houses. So obviously in the southern house, you had the, the, the kingdom of Judah Benjamin. and the Simeonites uh, and Benjamin mixed in with some Levites. Levi, but then yeah. you also had Manasseh, Asher. Uh, I can't remember all of them right now, but you had a whole bunch of them from the northern house as well that had come down and assimilated and were still small remnants but mm. in addition to that, I think it's, I can't remember, is it First Kings? Um, it's in First Kings, but I think it's 24. The uh, Assyrian king realizes that the, there's um, the, the animals in the land are, are causing a horrible time for emissaries and things happening in the northern house. And so one of the Levite priests in exile from the northern house says to the Assyrian king, well, that's because they're not doing the behavior of that land. Therefore, the god of that land is, is going to cause... Um, this carnage that you're seeing and the, the Syrian king says, all right, well, you go back to the land and teach people how to worship Yahweh. <laughs> hey, word like, <laughs> right. <laughs> right. That's a good king. <laughs> yeah. Well, he's not, he's not thinking of it as in like, you know, dedication to a certain God. He's just thinking, wait, so you're telling me the answer to this problem is that <laughs> the God of that land is mad. So because the people that, I took out of that land. We're worshiping the God of that land. And now the little stragglers who are going through that land, they're still not worshiping that God. So therefore he's mad. So I need to, I need to teach whatever people that are in that territory now to worship that God in the right way. So he's not mad anymore. And the Levite priest like, yeah, pretty much. Pretty much. And then he's like, all right, well you go back there and you teach him how to worship Yahweh of that land. And so that he can appease his anger. So when that Levite priest gets sent back there to do that, the people that land, he teaches them how to worship Yahweh, but then they continue to worship other idols as well. Man, so they're worshiping. It's a now it's it's the same problem essentially that you had during the unrighteous uh, kings and prophets of the kingdom of Israel before they were deported, right? Where they're where they're they're you know worshiping a pantheon and they're including Yahweh instead of isolating Yahweh as the most high and true God, right? So they're worshiping all these different varieties plus Yahweh. And that's why they have false prophets come out of the land of Samaria too, at this time in Jeremiah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So there's a whole back history here that, you know, is just churches never really talk about. It's just kind of skipped over and you don't realize that um, there's, a, this is why in John chapter four, you have the woman at the well with Jesus. And she's talking about, well, my ancestors say that we're going to worship God in Samaria. Right. And, People don't realize that I think it was the second century BC, the the faithful uh, people in Samaria that were worshiping Yahweh alone, they got to the point where they convinced the Greeks who ruled over them to allow them to build an actual temple in Samaria, mm. and they did. And then one of the Greek Seleucids got mad right before the Romans took over. One of the Greek Seleucids got mad at the people of Samaria and then came in and destroyed that temple. So therefore, now you had this remnant of people in Samaria that were following Yahweh. 
and not worshiping other gods who had built their own temple. I don't know. I don't know where they, you know, they must've grabbed the Levites that were in the land um, and, to do, and the priest work. To, to do the priestly work, but then that got destroyed. So then now that's why this lady has this perspective with Yeshua. She's like, well, in the future, where, where are we going to worship in Samaria or in Jerusalem? And they had this contention between them because they were like, well, we, 200 years ago, we had a temple. Why not stay? And then the people, people in Southern Judah were like, well, yeah, 700 years ago, we had the legit real temple. You know, or even or they still had it, I guess, in their day, but it was rebuilt by Ezra and Nehemiah. But mm. I'm just saying, like, there was this strangeness between them. And that's not even going into the the, <laughs> the temple that Onias built in Egypt. That's a whole nother conversation for another video. But um, like, so there's the point is there was all this. It's not clear cut. It's not this whole region and this whole time period between Rehoboam and Jeroboam after Solomon leading up to the days of Yeshua is just a mess. Man. It's just a mess that the father's constantly sorting out these people that can't stay dedicated in singleness of heart to worshiping him. Yeah. It's just an absolute mess. And this is what was prophesied in the Testament of Levi, that there would be a series of priesthoods that fail leading to the, uh, the, the coming of the son of man of the, of the son of God, who would then step into the final and perfect priesthood mm-hmm. who ministers in the heavenly tabernacle, as opposed to these corrupt dudes ministering in a corrupt tabernacle on the earth. Yeah, And so it's like Yahweh saw this inherent problem throughout this whole region that was just a mess for a long period of time, almost a thousand years. And he's like, I'm going to fix this. I'm going to send my son at the, at the properness of the fullness of time. And then he's going to be resurrected, put into, put into this priesthood to represent mankind in the heavenly temple that no one can corrupt that temple and no one can corrupt that priest because he's utterly faithful. And I've given him his resurrected righteous body, which according to covenant promise, he will have the righteousness of God. This is why it says in this passage, the Lord, our righteousness. Yeah. Yeah. It's talking about Yeshua. Um, Where'd it go? Here in verse six. Mm -hmm. And in his name, that's his priestly authority by which he will be called the Lord, our righteousness. It's Yahweh's perfect righteousness. He exudes and and lives in now because of his resurrected glorified state. He has the promise of the covenant on his heart. He gets the laws perpetually put on it. He will never sin again, as First Enoch five sixty nine says. So therefore, he can minister perfectly in the temple on our behalf, and there is no other chance for all this nonsense that Jeremiah is having to, to address. Yeah, I love this stuff, man. This is good. Yeah, yeah. It's it's a it's a it's a big chapter. Jeremiah is pretty deep with what he had to deal with and what he was willing to go through. Um, hey, anything else in this chapter you want to talk about? Um, yes. Uh, it left me. Um, Jeremiah prophesied the Messiah. I, just, I, I think it was something about the land. Okay. That still got me. Um, well, it's the people residing in the land is something that's always seems to be highlighted when the Most High is reassuring them um, of his salvation for the people. And the, the land ties back to his covenant with Abraham. And so, you know, one of the things that really gets highlighted when we're looking eschatologically at the New Jerusalem and stuff like that, where's all this stuff going to be at? Are people going to be on earth? Are people going to be in heaven? The land is still a, a focal point of the salvific promise of how God is going to rectify all the wickedness in, in the world mm-hmm. and, and have righteousness go out to the ends of the earth. Um that's something that I always remind myself of when I see these promises, when I see the Most High talking through his prophets and how he's yeah. always talking about how he's going to bring his people back into the land. This isn't like a 
it it's it's not a I don't I don't know why I want I want to say trivial. It's not it's not something where like he's talking about the land there now where we're gonna like all get on a plane and you know right. sections eventually end up back in in Israel, right? No, this right. is the New Jerusalem that's being promised. Same patch of land like you bring out, you know, but there, it's so much better. It's so much better than we can imagine. Right. Yeah, it's going to be everything's going to be all the nonsense will be taken away, the wickedness, the the uh, duplicitousness, and we're just going to have a an incredible piece of land that's that's set apart. People have to do his behavior to exist in that land and definitely to inherit it at their at their resurrection. And so all this you know the the unclean spirits will be taken out satan's going to be taken out the so the the mitigating influences against that behavior will be dramatically lessened and the people will be taught proper thought, theology and doctrine so they'll you know have a higher propensity to do that behavior and engage with this land of promise I'm talking about the survivors outside the land right. so therefore you know you've get a peace on earth basically that's i mean it's it's all it's all here and this is what abraham was looking forward to for sure Amen. was this wonderful concept and actually this as we delve into the the corruption and the wickedness that was going on in the days of uh, Ezekiel, or excuse me, Ezekiel and Jeremiah, because this is in that same time period, uh, this leads us into our segment, our theological rabbit trail. Yo, I'm loving the transitions, bro. <laughs> <laughs> so this is a this is our rabbit trail for the day, guys. Whereas we look at in the days of Jeremiah was the angel of the Lord still in the temple. Right? That's the perfect reaction. Hmm. Remember the angel of the Lord of the, the tabernacle to yeah. me? Yeah. Yeah. Where'd he go? Um hold on. I'm <laughs> this is an interesting question. So let's look at the 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 companion prophet to Jeremiah in his day, Ezekiel. Okay. Chapter 8, verse 15 through 16. says, Son of man, he said to me, Do you see this? Yet you will see even greater abominations than these. So he brought me to the inner court. This is an angel taking Ezekiel around, showing him some stuff that's happening. Mm -hmm. He brought me to the inner court of the house of the Lord. And there at the entrance to the temple of the Lord, between the portico and the altar, were about 25 men with their backs to the temple of the Lord and their faces toward the east. They were bowing to the east in worship of the sun, doing bell worship. Mm -hmm. Son of man, he said to me, do you see this? Is it not enough for the house of Judah to commit the abominations they're practicing here? Yet, excuse me, that they must also fulfill the land, fill the land with violence and continually provoke me to anger? Look, they're even putting the branch to their nose. Therefore, I will respond with wrath. I will not look on them with pity, nor will I spare them. Although they shout loudly in my ears, I will not listen to them. Go throughout the city of Jerusalem, says the Lord. Put a mark on the foreheads of the men sighing and groaning over all the abominations committed here. And as I listened, he said to the others, follow him, the others. He said to the others. <laughs> We're going to get to the others in a minute, right? So it's not just one angel in this vision. Hmm. So as I listened, he said to the others, follow him through the city and start killing. Do not show pity or spare anyone. Slaughter the old men, the young men, the maidens, the women, the children, but do not go near anyone who has the mark. Now begin at my sanctuary. So they began with the elders who were before the temple. And then he told them, defile the temple and fill the courts with the slain. Go forth. So they went out and began killing throughout the city. While they were killing, I was left alone. And I fell face down and I cried out, Oh Lord God, when you pour out your wrath on Jerusalem, will you destroy the entire remnant of Israel? Sounds like Abraham, right? Right, right. 
right? He said, replied, the iniquity of the house of Israel and Judah is exceedingly great. The land is full of bloodshed. The city is full of perversity. For they say the Lord has forsaken the land. The Lord does not see. But as for me, I will not look on them with pity, nor will I spare them. I will bring their deeds upon their own heads. Then the man clothed in linen with the writing kit at his side reported back. I've done as you commanded. <laughs> it's been our theological rabbit trail. But ultimately, this moment here in the days of Jeremiah, right, right here before Babylon invades, and Ezekiel's also a prophet that gets taken in exile in one of the first waves as of Babylonian invasion. And he gets this vision. And and I unfortunately I don't have time because of you know it's already a long broadcast. I don't have time to go through all go back, guys. If you're listening, read all of Ezekiel chapters seven, eight, nine, and ten. The whole thing is filled with this moment. I'm just giving you the highlight of this moment where these angels show up to Jeremiah. And if you look in this passage, the angel of the Lord comes from the temple. Um, I think I may have put this. Oh, okay. Let me pull up something real quick. This angel of the Lord that he's speaking with is right here. So if you go on and keep reading out of this in chapter 9, hmm. look what happens. Then the glory of the God of Israel rose from above the cherubim where it had been moved, had been, and moved to the threshold of the temple. And he called to the man clothed in linen who had the writing kit at his side, go throughout the city of Jerusalem. So that angel was still in the temple. Hold up on. to that point. Yeah. Remember in First Kings chapter 8 when Solomon built the temple and dedicated it? And the glory of the Lord filled the temple so the priests had to get out of there? Yeah. Yeah. That's a, that's a Hebrew idiom that's been used. The glory of the Lord, that was, that's a reference to that angel that drops in as, over the Holy of Holies. So, brother, everything we've been talking about today, everything we've been sharing and discussing the, the iniquity of the prophets and the priests and how the you know Jeremiah is trying to call them to repentance and the confusion in the land. All of this, all of this is taking place while there's an actual an, angel, an angel there. in there. What? Yo, that's just crazy. like just like uh, the angel of the presence and all the angels on top of Mount Sinai when the people at the base of it was like, yeah, let's go ahead and worship Baal. <laughs> so. For the atheist, for the unbeliever, for the person that's not familiar with Scripture, and they look at these moments in Scripture where Yahweh comes through and he exacts justice and vengeance on people. And he says, I'm not going to look on them with pity. To, to whom much is given, much is expected. Facts. These people literally had an angel of the presence there they could have went to. The priesthood literally is ministering in a temple where there's an angel floating above the Holy of Holies to, to accept the sacrifice as it's supposed to be done according to Torah. And if they had brought strange fire, they could have been killed like Nadab and Abihu. They literally were supposed to be doing the Torah with faithfulness, but these priests and prophets were worshiping other gods at the same time they're going and doing their services to Yahweh. And the whole while, Yahweh is holding, staying the hand, if you will, of that angel of the Lord and not committing judgment until finally he couldn't take it anymore. <laughs> There's this stuff is deep. It's crazy, so, right? I know, I know, I know. And but but I'm I, I just can't get over the blatant 
disrespect and disobedience that that you would carry those things out in such in front of such like holiness like how many times do uh, angels appear to people in the bible and it's like they're they're fearful and they have to tell them don't don't be afraid right i couldn't imagine cutting up in front of in a in the temple like that it just highlights how bad things got yeah yeah it was bad it was that to me that's how the how far it just you know the example of this angel being there with them since the days of the exodus that's mm -hmm. that's how far it can go to the point of getting used to the goodness and and taking it for granted and not being grateful Wow. You know, is that a person can then suddenly realize, oh, you know, that's just, I've just known that my whole life. Like as a kid, you grow up and go to the temple for Passover, Sukkot, Shavuot, Day of the Atonement. This, this angel's chilling, doing his thing, descending mm -hmm. to to meet with the Holy of Holies and, and with the priest on Day of Atonement, doing, you know, and then suddenly you just think that that's, that's normal. normal. Yeah. Just wow. On the opposite side, people can grow up in Sodom and Gomorrah and thinking, oh, every time a stranger comes here, we're going to die. Wow. And that's normal. Wow. Well stated. So, we live in this weird society. Oh, by the way, did you see how Jeremiah had Yahweh through Jeremiah referenced the people in Judah of that day as Sodom and Gomorrah? Uh, Sodom and Gomorrah. Yeah. That's mm -hmm. yeah, rough, man. Yeah. So this, you know, we grew up in a weird society in history, I think. I, I, not weird, but like a, um, we grew up in a society in history that's been sanitized of this type of spiritual activity. Agreed that we don't go to church and see an angel chilling over the, over the church, you know, right. um, unless you have a special moment of vision, you know, like my sister, when she was a three years old, she tried to tell us she was looking at an angel in the back of the church and he was, he was like 20 feet tall, you know? Hmm. And, uh, and so, I mean, I, you know, I believe her. Okay. It's fine. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Awesome. You know, but no one else saw it. You know, it's like, uh, just little stuff like that. It's not a, but this, this was commonplace. Like, right. For like, everybody. You go to, yeah. Like even foreign dignitaries, Kings, anyone going through, uh, passing through the, the area where the temple was through Jerusalem during these years, they could have had a high probability of seeing the glory of the Lord residing over the temple. Wow. Wow. So to me, it's like in a weird way, we've come to this type of society that has been, and I think this is, I try to talk about this in my Investigating Babylon series, that this has been an actual plan of the enemy, which is to take all this stuff we're reading about, all these miracles and these fantastic things, and to minimize all that, to sterilize, if you will, um, because they because the enemy knows prophecy too. Let me say this as quickly as possible. The enemy knows prophecy too. So therefore, the enemy knows that the that what's been prophesied through the prophets is that when the Messiah comes, he'll be betrayed by man. And he'll do what he's got to do. But then on the earth, the temple goes away after after the final um, dispersion that's prophesied, which happens in 70 AD. Mm -hmm. um, so they, they know that the temple's going away. The dispersion is going to happen amongst the priesthood of, throughout the earth. And then the, the people themselves will be dispersed and they will not be regathered to the first resurrection. Right. So they have this period of time now where this norm, the normalcy that was here is going to not be here. So what do they do now? How do they portray? How do they get people to minimize even though we've, even though believers have a shortcut, because now we have Yeshua ministering in the true temple and get you the spirit whenever no, he wants to, right? Right. He doesn't need a perfect priest uh, that's being obedient in, a, in an undefiled temple, right? He's he's got all of those conditions satisfied, so he can give us the spirit whenever he chooses. It's wonderful. Mm -hmm. We get a shortcut. It's amazing. Yeah. The enemy, though, sees the the ground as far as what 
what the people see with their eyes. Mm. So therefore he says, they don't see a temple anymore. They don't see an angel of the presence anymore. They don't see all this stuff. So we don't even have to do all of our magic the way we used to do anymore to convince them uh, to worship our gods. We just now work on the behavior. We just now teach, we just do what Satan did in the garden. We just get them to disbelieve the plainly written words of the father Yo, to change their behavior. Deep. That's my thought. <sighs> And guys, thanks for joining us. This has been our Theological Rabbit Trail. <laughs> that was that music was too nice after that long, you know what I'm saying? We needed something yeah. we needed something deep. We needed some strings or, or something. That's that's why I put that punch in at the end. Yeah. <laughs> oh man, no, that was that was good, man. That was good. This this is a fun a fun uh, tour portion in my view. Um, so, I, is it my turn to read? I think chapter chapter thirteen um, of Hebrews. This is our last chapter. Last chapter. No, I think you did. I read twenty three. No, remember. yeah, I read I I read twenty three because I remember reading um, that prophecy was in parentheses where the word okay, burden. That's was. right. Yeah, that's right. Uh, yeah. yeah, I was just trying to help people understand the word burden is replaced for prophecy. Okay, line. cool. Um, so Hebrews 13, 1 through 5, it says, uh, Continue in brotherly love. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for by doing so some people have entertained angels without knowing it. Remember those in prison as if you were bound with them, and those who are mistreated as if you were suffering with them. Marriage should be honored by all, and the marriage bed kept undefiled. For God will judge the sexually immoral and the adulterers. Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For God has said, Never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. And it's powerful. So we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? Remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Do not be carried away by all kinds of strange teachings, for it's good for the heart to be strengthened by grace and not by foods of no value to those devoted to them. We have an altar from which those who serve at the tabernacle have no right to eat. Although the high priest brings the blood of the animals into the holy place as a sacrifice for sin, the bodies are burned outside the camp. And so Jesus also suffered outside the city gate to sanctify the people by his own blood. Therefore, let us go to him outside the camp, bearing the disgrace he bore. For we do not have a permanent city, but we're looking for the city that is to come. Through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that confess his name. And do not neglect to do good and, sh and to share with others, for with such sacrifices God is pleased. Obey your leaders, submit to them, for they watch over you, over your souls as those who must give an account. And to this end, allow them to lead with joy and not with grief, for that would be of no advantage to them. Pray for us. We are convinced that we have a clear conscience and desire to live honorably in every way. And I especially urge you to pray that I may be restored to you soon. Now may the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead, our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, equip you with the every good thing to do his will. And may he accomplish in us what is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. I urge you, brothers, to bear with my word of exhortation, for I have only written to you briefly. Be aware that our brother Timothy has been released, and if he arrives soon, I will come with him to see you. Greet all your leaders and all the saints. Those from Italy send you greetings. Grace be with you all. 
So we have um, a unique mention here of both the angels showing up unaware. Mm-hmm. We have a unique mention here by the writer of Hebrews of Abraham also, um, or the hospitality, right? To be good, to share with all for right. God is pleased with these sacrifices. So it's kind of metaphorically called a sacrifice to, to show hospitality and share with others. Yeah. So it's kind of interesting. Um, and then also it talks about Abraham looked for a city. So he knew again, right. the, the writer, the writer of Hebrews understood that Abraham knew the promise of the covenant and the gospel, of the kingdom. And I think that's beautiful. Yeah. Those verses used to always be ambiguous to me as a, uh, one of Jehovah's Witnesses, this isn't a topic that was uh, ever brought up, you know, um, yeah. as, eschatologically, they don't have too much. Well, they, they don't go so far off on the deep end like some other groups do. But um, yeah. the idea of that city, man, I just don't hear anybody talking about the city that is to yeah. come. It just they it's talked about like it's this poetic statement that just represents heaven and you know, but it's, it's, it's literally broken down for us in writings. Yeah. And there's a lot of modern evangelical Protestant charismatic churches that have been using the the term kingdom of God, but they don't speak of it as a literal city to come. They speak of it as a mindset of doing right. the, the will of God on the earth now to establish justice in the earth and overcome oppression and evil. It's actually kind of built into this more social justice warrior mindset than it is the actual definitions of the terms given to us in right scripture. Point. So it's, it's interesting. Um, but yeah, man, I mean, there's, you know, I'll just read some of the bullet points here real quick. The writer of Hebrews encourages the reader to practice hospitality to strangers, comfort the afflicted in prison. And by the way, I, I think that that reference there is, yes, I would, I would encourage if you, if it's on your heart to do prison ministry, go do it. But I, I think the implication here is that people that are bound there unjustly, because hmm, it says okay. suffer, suffer with them as if you were bound with them also. Got you. That's deep. Okay. Yeah. Um, but I mean, I still, my grandfather did prison ministry. It's never been put on my heart. I've actually asked the father, should I do something like that? I just, I've never heard a yes or no. I keep hearing him to tell me to do this kind of thing. So, but my grandfather used to do prison ministry and, um, he always talked about that. And then, uh, uphold marital faithfulness, obviously. And then don't fall prey to the love of money. That's something that everybody's got to watch out for. Um, do you think it's just the love of money or do you think they're do you, like, I don't want to put words into the text, but do you think that there's also like a dependence of money because of what he says after this, right? He says, um, what was it? Verse, God, will take, God, basically God will never leave you. God will. Yeah. yeah. Never will I forsake you. Um, I think that that's a portal to the love of money, but there's other texts where I believe that the Bible says that money is a protection. Right. There's right. so there's there's so many there's so much counsel. I mean, especially in the book of Sirach with just being wise with your finances, you know. Yeah. Um, and so I, I think it's there's there's a balanced a balanced approach that we need to take. But the moment that because, listen, you can only do so much about your circumstances. We live in a worldly society that's governed by, you know, money and the love of money. So it's it's easy to end up in some circumstances where it's out of your control. You know, you were working. Now they got mandates that they got going on and now you've lost your job. So it's understandable how certain people can fall into this type of thinking. But God is just letting us know, like, I got you no matter what happens. You know, you know, I, I totally amen. I agree with what you're saying. And um, 
I was actually curious about this because, you know, I don't I don't have time to look up every single word in every part of scripture that that I study. But uh, as you're talking, I just pull up real quick the definition of that word money or love of money from the Greek okay. Okay. and check out what it says. It, this particular translation is very, I would say it took some liber liberalities with that translation to okay. call it the love of money. Mm. Uh, it says, let, let be without covetousness, your manner of life being satisfied with the present covetousness. That's the oh. like the literal Greek translation. Um, but I guess that sounds too much like Torah. So We'll, we'll change. <laughs> right, we'll right. Change that. <laughs> so the translator said, eh, instead of covetousness, let's just call it the love of money. But yeah. yeah, I mean, I get it. Money can be also be equated to covetousness. But, but it, and also if he does say and be content with what you have. So it's it's just an interest. I just want to bring out a little bit more for the audience in case they're curious. Work. I feel you. Yeah, but that's uh, that's that's definitely something we could be reminded of a lot in our, especially yeah. in a in a society like we live in that encourages consumerism. And right. that encourages covetousness through, you know, oh, you need what they have. So you better go buy that new shoe or that new car or whatever. So, right. I mean, it's built into our advertising system to entice you to get what you don't have. Like it literally is built into everything you see every day. Well, you've got you've got me thinking, man, because after you broke down how they there was that God that was basically served by way of enterprise. Yeah. Yeah. I'm I'm wondering now if the elite hate it. <laughs> okay. Hades. I'm wondering, you know what I'm saying? I'm wondering if the elites, if they still, because we, we talk about all the time that they're still doing these things. Oh yeah. You, that, that's why I show in that, uh, in that breakdown, that best game Babylon series that Hades had the Kedusa, the, which represented the staff of commerce. <laughs> yeah. So. Yeah. yeah. It's man. all related. So we also got the writer of Hebrews encourages the reader to learn good doctrine, to practice, by following the example of their leaders and the Messiah, Yeshua, as he is the one serving at the heavenly altar, giving them grace, which that, that word actually means favor. Mm -hmm. So <clears throat> I think that's interesting that he's just reminding them, like, do Torah. Hey, look at look at the, the elders over you. And if you know, and also look at the Messiah, he's perfect. And also he's he's the one giving you that that grace, that favor, uh, to encourage you in your walk. And he's doing that because he's doing Torah in heaven right now on your behalf at the heavenly altar. Yeah. So uh, we also have the writer of Hebrews compares the instructions of the sin offering to the sacrifice of Yeshua's death on the cross. And we know this is this is a big deal for a lot of people. <laughs> you know. Yeah. A lot of people struggle with this, man. They 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 think because they don't know Torah, they think the moment of Yeshua's death on the cross made atonement for them. Right. They don't realize the the language being used of his blood being compared to this 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 procedure done by the priests of the through the sin offering that's Which, expounded to us in Leviticus five and six. Right. The the priests interceding for the people is it's it's vital. I think it's vital that we get that proper idea down. The writer of Hebrews is like painstakingly trying to make this point by my estimation. But yes. if you if you follow their that lot that type of logic all the way to its end, in my experience, the idea that Christ's death atoned for you, that leads to the once saved, always saved mentality oftentimes. Right. And so then it's That's like, right. okay, well, what do you do with all these texts that tell you that your name could be blotted out of the book of life? Like he's mediating for you. Like <laughs> you right. know what I'm saying? It's it's, a, that, it's an active process. Yeah, that that um theology that you just quoted, what it does is it ignores the, the priesthood position, which is the active process you're talking about. Part of that position is not just to be a minister in the temple. 
but it's also to be a judge over Israel, mm, which will hold right. you account for every deed and idle word. And you know what I'm saying? So like, this is where they basically just ignores the actual descriptions of your Messiah and what he was given by the father in his role to say that, Oh, because he died on the cross, you're free of sin. You're like, well, okay, wait a minute. You, you made some jumps there. Like what's, <laughs> <laughs> so wait a minute, because because like we talked about with Genesis 22, Yahweh does not accept human blood on his altar. He does not allow for human sacrifice. Right. Yeshua was murdered by Romans on an altar outside the city. He was not killed by a Levite priest and put on an altar in the temple and trimmed of fat and then cooked up and served as a meal. Right. That would be cannibalism. Right. Yahweh against that. The metaphor, the the terms of Yeshua's murder is metaphorically spoken of with the terms of the, the process of the Levites in the temple because Yeshua became the most high priest or the priest of the, uh, the, the high priest of the covenant because mm -hmm. he stepped into a priesthood position and ministers in the temple. That's why these Hebrews in the first century AD are making these comparisons, right? Because there's an active temple when he's writing this and he, he, everyone knows the process. So it's an active metaphor he can make because everyone gets it quickly. We in our day, as I talked about earlier, we haven't seen a temple in 2000 years. We don't know what that's like. We haven't gone to, to offer a vow offering or a Thanksgiving offering or come to Shavuot. We don't know that kind of, we haven't experienced that. We have no clue how to make this connection unless you learn the history and learn the Torah. So Agreed. Agreed. And then it helps us to conceptualize why the Most High put so much emphasis on these wicked priests in, in yes. the Old Testament. You know, and the fact that we needed an incorruptible priest to fill that role. That's right. This is where, you know, we, and my wife and I, a few years ago, we did a, a, the Torah portion, what we called it kingdom portions. And mm -hmm. uh, she and I added our commentary as we read the passages. And, and um, that's where we were trying to explain to people when we get to, I think we were at Leviticus 16, talking about Day of Atonement and, and comparing Yeshua to that. And we're trying to say to people, the problem, the father has never had a problem receiving a righteous sacrifice. That's in the instructions. They, they brought the the lamb that was out without spot and blemish. They could find those and fulfill the requirements required by the father for a righteous sacrifice. They knew how to clean the temple, the vessels in the temple, the altar, the, the, the doorway, the portico, everything involved. They knew how to make the place clean and bring the right animal with the right cooking ingredients and do that properly. But if mm -hmm. the priest's heart was not right, all of it was in vain. This is why it was so important for the father to say, I des I don't desire sacrifices, I desire obedience. Because this is why in Hebrews 10, 4, it, it's quoting the psalm where, speaking of Yeshua, that, you know, sacrifices and burnt offerings and, and sacrifices you have not required, but a body you have prepared for me. Because mm -hmm. what's he going to do with that body? He's going to become obedient. So he can be the high priest that we never had, an obedient one. <laughs> Amen. Amen. Perfectly obedient, trusted by the Father to be perfectly obedient. We've never had that until Yeshua. So this is why Fact. we praise him. This is why we extol his name. This is why we lift him up as our mediator to the Father, because he's done what no one else was able to do. Man. And now he's glorified above everybody else, even the angels. So yeah, so yeah there's there's to understand the Torah is important when it comes to the priesthood. Um, the writer of Hebrews encourages the reader to live obedient lives through spiritual leaders so those leaders can have joy over them. I think this is hilarious because <laughs> guys, I, I you know, I know people look up look up to us because they we we do these uh, uh, I feel like I've been called to be a teacher and we do these broadcasts and people write us asking us letters. People have asked us to personally disciple them and their families. 
Um, but you know, being that people are all over the country, it's really hard. We're not in a localized area. It's, it's a kind of a different scenario doing this YouTube thing. Right. But I still feel sometimes because I'm daily answering emails and questions and messages about scripture and, you know, and, and helping people out in the comment section for different things. Cause we have so many videos now. So, um, I feel like a spiritual leader in a sense. Yeah. And so therefore, if people come to me constantly with strife, there's no joy <laughs> when I have to, when I have to lovingly reprimand them and be like, okay, I hear you. I hear you, but let's slow down and let's look Word. at the words. You know what I mean? Like uh, you're all excited about this and you're all passionate. You either misheard something I said, or you took a wrong mm -hmm. conclusion from something I said, or you just don't like what I said because mm -hmm. you've been taught. You're listening to some other YouTubers as soon as you get done, listening to me. Mm -hmm. And he says something completely different and you love him too. And, I, and hey, that's awesome. We're not telling you to only listen to us. You listen right, to everyone, right, right. right? But at the same time, this is why you get so many people that get mixed up. They, get, they hear so many conflicting things. And yeah. then they want to come to you and they want to just give you this five, five paragraph berating of why you're wrong and why you you need to, you know, you need to change oh, up. And, and I'm like, all right, well, let's, you know, if I take the time to engage in those and try to walk them through, I can never back them down from their attitude, no matter what I show them. And so I've learned that that steals my joy. <laughs> I know, I so like, think, think about my day where I'm sitting at this computer for most, you know, most of the day all day. And I'm, I'm compiling videos or, or making a video or making slides or compiling scriptures for the lesson plan or whatever to make these videos. And, uh, and, um, you know, when I take a break, it, this sounds, this is going to sound super, super boring guys. My life is not an adventure movie, but, um, when I take a break from doing that, I go wash dishes or I go take the trash out or I, go to the store and, you know, get groceries or so it's just like a different I, type of work. <laughs> yeah. Right. So, or if I take a break from making videos and compiling scriptures, I'm answering emails and questions to people that have a question about scripture. Um, so to try to like, I gotta, you know, it's, it's when you're not, when you've lost your joy and your peace has been stolen, it's hard to put together a vibrant lesson plan that I understand. You know, it can pull things out to draw people's attention and hopefully edify them with what they're learning and stuff. And so, yeah, it's just I totally, man, I can totally relate where he's he's telling these people, look, man, please, please, you know, if you're going to be serving your if you're going to be trying to help your spiritual leaders and whatever they're trying to do because you like them and agree with what they're doing. Uh, let them do keep that in consideration. Yeah. Keep that in. Yeah. yeah keep it in consideration. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. I've read some of the comments on some of your videos, man, and people be going. But I've been there before, so I can understand when people's sure. zeal, you know, goes beyond their, you know, rationality at times but that's why we have this council in hebrews <laughs> there it is yeah and and of course i knew what i signed up for i mean i, understood. I understood. was on social media and youtube before i started my own channel and started getting into this and i knew what i, I knew that this was going to come i mean phew, first few months we started this we, we we ran into severe persecution by people for no just reason whatsoever and got a whole bunch of hate mail from people and and comments and nonsense and text messages and so like yeah i mean it's just part of it but it, so to keep it, to keep us rolling, the, lastly, the writer of Hebrews, and this is one I want to ask you a question. This is a term a lot of people use, this, this term, blood of the eternal covenant. The writer of Hebrews connects this term with Yeshua's resurrection. Okay. In that, in that passage. What are your, any thoughts on this as far as, it says, um, verse 20, now may the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead, our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep. And he goes on to say, and equip you with every good thing to do his will. So mm -hmm. what part is it? Are you asking about the blood? Or are you asking about the internal covenant? 
yeah, this this phraseology, this term, blood of the eternal covenant. Hmm. How do you think that's being used in here? Because this is debated by a lot of people as far as like what the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead, our Lord Jesus. I don't know. I read that and it's not that deep to me. I just think that uh, Christ, Christ, well, the the eternal covenant goes back to the Abrahamic covenant, right? A covenant to which there were no conditions. And um, blood is something that I believe always sealed covenants, right? Um, yeah. Now, I, the thing is, is we know that in the renewed covenant, it's established on better promises. And so yeah. uh, I think that um, s some of the constituencies of the covenant enhanced, maybe, if, if I can use that word, um, and that Yeshua's death sealed that that element of it, I would say. Okay. Um, you kind of cut out a little bit. Your feed kind of cut out a little bit in that. I apologize. So did you say oh, okay. that uh, the, the, the elements of Yeshua's death enhanced the covenant? Is that what you're saying? Um, or, or, or maybe sealed it because it was okay. promised. It was promised all the way back in Jeremiah. Christ didn't die back in the time of Jeremiah. Right. Right. So, right, right. so I would say that it was proclaimed back then when around the, you know, Jeremiah 30, uh, 30 through 33 and whatnot. And the manifestation of that, that's going to take place at, at his return. That prospect could have only been sealed by his blood, but he, he had to go through that process first. Otherwise, okay. You okay, see I see what you're saying now. Yeah, yeah, I see what you're saying now. So that, yeah, it was a necessary conduit. Uh, the, the shedding of his blood was a necessary conduit for us to get to the new covenant. Right. For for the position he fulfills to get us there. Um, yeah, yeah. So I would definitely agree with that. And to my understanding, that at least this is what I pull from this is that the blood, the term, the blood of the eternal covenant, is referring to the the shed blood of Jesus, mm -hmm. and why it's immediately tied to him being brought back from the dead is because that's his perfect obedience is that that uh levitical metaphor to the the lamb without spot or blemish right who was a, oh, the gotcha, blood, gotcha. A pure, yeah. a pure blood if you will so that we our messiah and his obedience was without spot or blemish he never transgressed the law of god um he was perfectly obedient so therefore his blood is being referenced by the writer of hebrews and also by peter to be used as this term to signify yeshua's purity Mm, you know, you. and through right. through that purity, it allows us to have the promises of the covenant fulfilled, like you just talked about, get us to the resurrection. And through that purity, it allowed for him to be raised from the dead as the first fruits of the first resurrection, mm. as First Corinthians 15, 20 through 24 talks about. You know, that's the way I see it, is that it's kind of like a, a short little idiom that these New Testament epistles use for the, the purity of Yeshua being that we're saved by his blood. Gotcha. You know? That's that's the way I look at it anyway. But yeah, I liked your answer as well, because it, it definitely ties into that whole process of making the new covenant a reality. Amen. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, brother, this this has been a big chapter. There's a lot in here. I really appreciate you joining me for this broadcast. Oh, I, uh, I'm, we've, I'm thankful that you had me on. Yeah, yeah, it was fun. This has been our, our longest broadcast. And uh, hopefully the, the everyone in the comments and uh, in the live chat enjoyed it. Like we said last time, uh, these chapters in Genesis are really, really big. And some of the tour portions going forward in the future, they're not so big so that we're going to have more time that we can actually take live questions uh, from the audience, because I usually try to do that on all my broadcasts. Um, but man, these, these tour portions in Genesis are just massive. <laughs> <laughs> you know? 
Yeah. Like, I, you know, I remember when we went through Deuteronomy, I think it was Deuteronomy 32. Like that was the portion. It's just one chapter out of Deuteronomy. You know, that's how it is at the Bible study I go to. Like, so the brother yeah. in Sassoon, he, we're, we go one chapter at a time and then we end up talking for like four or five hours. We just have like this yeah. round table <laughs> conversation. It's fun. It's fun. But it just goes to show how much can we, you can get out of an account, you know? Yeah. Yeah. These, there's so much in here. So I actually feel like I'm doing it disjustice. I'm not doing it justice by quickly going through all these chapters. You know what I mean? Cause I, I could still, like you said, I could stay and talk on Genesis 17 for two hours, but yeah, I know that I'm just trying to make this a palpable format for people to, to Understood. learn and study by and, and, uh, and not click off of hopefully. So, but Hey, it still shows that we got 162 people in the live chat. So that's good. Praise to the most good. high. Um, yeah. Thank you so much, brother. What's, uh, what's been going on with you lately? Let's, uh, I'm going to, Tell people to go to Marla Eugene. That's your YouTube channel you got. Yeah, I've and just, uh, sure I, haven't, I haven't really been too active online, you know. Um, now that I'm around some family, I've been, you know, I've been around my nephew. I've been around my brother-in-law, been around my mom a lot, you know. Um, now that we've moved, I'm, I'm closer to some some people that I kind of fell out, fell out of contact with once we moved to San Francisco and stuff like that. So I've just, it's weird. It's almost like the, the, the hands of time are kind of ticking back and it's almost like, you know, I'm, I'm having to remind myself, oh yeah, social media exists, you know, <laughs> since I've been around people, you know, just going to the park and, and to be honest with you, you know, and maybe I need people to pray for me in this regard, but social media is something that like, it just pierces me to the core. Some, some of the things that I see on there, it just stresses me out so much. I find myself going to bed, gritting my teeth, you know, cause I get so angry sometimes at some of the just the ridiculousness that I see on there, even from brothers and sisters in, in, you know, the faith and in, in the Ecclesia, the way that I see that people yeah. talk to one another, the, the things that you're talking about, we all need each other. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And so, and then Rob's death hit me hard. You know what I'm saying? I'm still not over that. Um, and so I've just been, you know, really just, you know, retracing my steps and, you know, just picking up, uh, start, starting from the beginning, I guess you could say, and, and seeing where the most high wants to lead me trying to make sense of everything. Okay. Well, for whatever reason, I'm having a hard time pulling up your, your page. Just the, the internet, I guess is acting real funny right now, but mm -hmm. at least you guys can see his title and his, it is banner picture. Um, all the, all the rest is not populating yet. It's acting weird. Um, but ultimately guys go check out, subscribe to him. He's making great music. If you need, uh, also he, he creates beats if you need to, um, purchase them so that you can use for different soundtracks or different different productions you may be doing. But he also just creates his own music with lyrics, and it's amazing. Go check it out. We've highlighted it in the past. Appreciate it. But um, yeah, you got great music, brother. You're very talented. Fathers, I think that's definitely a gift the Father's given you. Thank you. And uh, you guys go subscribe to his channel. Make sure you show him some love uh, because you also don't you have a secondary channel that you're trying to in, argument in the future keep Arg the argument Yeah, yeah, that was something yeah. that I used to do with the library years ago. You know, and then I got married and then, I, you know, things in my life changed and whatnot. But uh, it wasn't something that I actually put online. It was just something where I would meet random people. I, I talked to homeless people. Yeah. I talked to atheists and stuff like that. And um, I was, I'm trying to revivify it. But I just have to make sure, like you said, that my spirit is in the right place because my knowledge a lot of times is there, you know. But I've noticed I, last one that I the last thing that you put up that I watched all the way through from start to finish was when you had the atheists on. Oh, and wow. it's, okay. Well, it's extremely hard to have those type of critical conversations when you're being provoked and, and people yeah. are, you know, and I'm still yeah, growing. People talk about, go ahead. I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, go no, ahead. Go I ahead. think there's a delay. Uh, I was just going to say that 
that conversations like that, you know, people will say to me, you know, man, I don't know how you do it. You, you have the patience of a saint. I don't know how you do it. Like I couldn't do that. I don't know how you do it. And, um, don't, don't get me wrong, guys. Like I feel it afterwards. Got you. So like, I may be cool in the moment where you see it being filmed and I'll be as respectful as possible. And, and I've tried to tell people in the past that, you know, like, um, I think my disposition has been formed because I've taken martial arts for a long time mm-hmm. and, it, it helps you get past, you know, the weirdness as far as part of martial arts, at least that when, where I was taught was if you're going to get to the higher levels of rank, then you have to have self-control. So that's why, you know, I think you're seeing some of that discipline come out um, gotcha. with that. But even, even though I get through the broadcast and don't lose, you know, act, act out of my backside afterwards, I feel that internal turmoil and that right. anger. And I have right. to deal with that later. And let that go. And, you know, that's why I don't do debates every night because, I mean, I got people right now emailing me, like three different people emailing me trying to set me up for debates. And I'm like, I, you know, I got to keep my peace too, you know, and none of them, not all of them are all atheist debates because those usually don't end well. But even with brothers and sisters in the faith that just vehemently disagree with you on something and then want to turn that disagreement into questioning your salvation, your motives, your heart, your whole, you know, your whole concept and everything, ignoring anything you've ever done before, even stuff publicly filmed and online for them to reference. They ignore right. all that and just want to think I'm a horrible person because I don't agree with them theologically. That also weighs on you. So I just have to spread out those types of broadcasts. I understand. So I be ready for I understand. Well, let's appreciate it, brother. Brothers, you brothers that are 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 in, are in doing this full-time ministry. I don't know if you're doing it full-time, but I mean, it seems like you're you're doing the same amount of work as a full-time uh brother who's being a teacher and it's it's you're appreciated you guys need to hear that more often you know um no absolutely you know rob's like i said rob's rob's passing really helped me to put some things into perspective um and you know i just wanted to let you know you know thank you for all you do you know personally yes straight up you west blaze all y'all out there man Uh, i know y'all are picking up the mantle that that, you know rob kind of left and so uh, if y'all need any support, that's why when you hit me up randomly, it don't matter what I got going on, Sean, like I'll drop it, bro. Like if you need somebody to come on for a tour portion or something like that, just hit me up. I'll make a way. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. I love y'all straight up. Yeah. In, in the future, I'd like to have guests on for the tour portions because, you know, I do a lot of other broadcasts. But mm-hmm. for these, I'd love it to be more of a fellowship style to where we have in, you know, with people's schedules aligned, we can have three or four people on here. We can all just chat, chat about these things. And and um, that way one person or two people don't have to do as much talking, you know, because yeah, but uh, this has been a blessing and honor to have you on here, brother. Appreciate it. And um, I thank everyone in the chat for being here. We had a lot of, uh, um, yeah, I, people are wanting to ask questions. I apologize, guys. We we need to end the broadcast. My wife's got dinner or supper, excuse me, <laughs> lunch. My wife's got lunch going. So um, I got to get out of here and uh, Marlo does too. He's got a lot going on. So yeah. thank you so much, Marlo. Thank you everybody Absolutely. for being here. We will see you guys uh, next Saturday for the next tour portion.